0: Hey everyone, and welcome back for the third episode of the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, a podcast lovingly devoted to the series of the same name, published by DC Comics from 1988 to 1989. I'm your host, Chad Bokelman, and joining me throughout the life of the show will be a semi-regular cast of rotating guest hosts from across the comics podcasting, blogging, and fan community. The past two episodes have had a bit of an intro planned. Now for this episode, I wanted to do something like perhaps finally give a rundown of the history of the Action Comics Weekly series. But as mentioned last episode, I've decided that at some point in the future of this show, I plan on reaching out to various creators for interviews. Whether they return those requests in the affirmative remains to be seen, but regardless, would you rather hear the tidbits gathered from me from various Google searches, or directly from legendary names in the comic creator community? Yeah, I thought so. So instead, let's just hop straight into the madness that is Action Comics Weekly 603. Since this weekend is a holiday here in the United States, I assume that most people will be more preoccupied than usual, so hey, a slightly shorter episode than normal actually works in our favor this time around. So thanks for listening in, and enjoy this, the third episode of the Action Comics Weekly podcast. All right, guys, we are back from break, and because we are covering yet another issue of Action Comics Weekly, that also means we are starting off with another story featuring the Emerald Gladiator himself, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, and because we're talking Green Lantern... We couldn't go forth without my co-host from the Lantern
1: cast. Dan (laughs) Kurtzky. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Mark Marble who? (laughs) I wanted to say that for the first two episodes, but you talked so fast, there was never even a split-second gap for me to spit that out. (laughs) It's my show, you son of a bitch. (laughs) And don't I know it. (laughs) All
0: right. Clearly, Mark Marble has joined me yet again to talk Green Lantern. Welcome back to the
1: show. Thank you for having me back, Chad. I thought I'd be banned after the first two episodes.
0: <laughs> Other people have done worse and yet still maintain their invites. So, uh... <laughs> Never has one man done so little for so many so often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <clears throat> So, <clears throat> when last we left Green Lantern, uh, we were dealing with uh, Carol's poor choice of murdering uh, Kat Matui, the wife of John Stewart. Uh, we had just put her in the ground, only to have <laughs> K- Carol show up uh, and... Uh, no respect.
1: No respect at all. That's
0: right. Bedevil Hal all over again with an airborne battle across Coast City, uh, during which she crashed a jet into the into the cityscape, um, which Hal managed to divert into an empty warehouse, so uh, as opposed to a... a, a uh, you know building full of people so we pick up i guess where we left off so go ahead mark take it from here just
1: the title of this issue is retribution and of course the creative team remains the same james owsley gil kane albert de guzman anthony tollen and Danny o'neill is are the creative team uh on the left hand side of the opening splash kind of you pretty much have like almost like a a uh, Walter Cronkite knockoff, kind of giving a, a recap of the, of the major events that have been going on, talking about the you know the F-14 that was crashed, and there's a uh, flying man who matched the description of Green Lantern, but John Stewart could not be reached for comment. <laughs> uh, the Air Force, an Air Force spokesman, you know, declined comment about all this, yada yada. And you know, nevertheless, the Air Force is requesting federal authorities to issue a warrant for Stewart's arrest. John Stewart's not having a good friggin' day. <laughs> My my wife is dead, and they're gonna arrest me for almost for not for for kind of being Green Lantern. Except that's the wrong color Green Lantern too. But it doesn't matter. Oh God. Uh, so while this is going, while this recap is going on in the left hand side, you know, uh, cat cow <laughs> combination. Uh, Hal's kind of reflecting and giving us the other recap of Oh my God, you know, Carol Ferris shot down that jet. You know and. She's endangered the lives of th- hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and heaven <laughs> help her. She's gone completely insane. <laughs> and yes, yes, she has. So in the last in the last issue, that pilot who, as Chad pointed out, kind of showed up right on cue, <laughs> miraculously enough, with the phone book that Carol had left. So Cal, so uh, Carol was trying to lure Hal to, to her apartment, to her penthouse. So like Hal's like, I kind of know it's a trap, but, but I have no time to worry about that, which is kind of typical Hal, though. So you can't really, as dumb as it might seem on the surface, it is kind of appropriate based on his character. So Hal shows up at Carol's penthouse. He, he crashes to the window, and of course Carol just, hey, you're looking for me? I'm outside. <laughs> In a moment, you'll be out here with me. And she kind of like you know, blasts Hal out of the apartment, out of the penthouse with her ring. There were, there were explosive charges under the floor, set off by your gemstone. So she's, she's been planning this for a She's, she's kind of like going jihad all over this guy. Hal, and so the, you know, so the top of the building, so it's on fire. It, it kind of like blows up. Hal kind of like uses a uh, energy ring construct to contain it all to catch the falling debris. And now Hal kind of reflects upon his own jumping in without thinking. Plan. It's like that was stupid coming here straight after her. Like she wanted me to. It's like tired, hard to think. It's like why? So obviously Carol starting to you know play a little play a little head game with him too with her powers. But she also creates, and this might be the, finally the answer to our question because she creates an energy construct of, of Cap Matui as a Green Lantern. What a bitch! <laughs> and the construct is nice and is nice and pink and purpley. So we kind of get a real idea of what her constructs look like, and they do appear to be much more sapphire-ish like we would expect. So, you know, the construct of Cap Matui kind of <laughs> punches Hal right in the face. Uh, yeah, Hal. So the, uh, the debris that Hal contained is no longer contained and starting to collapse. Hal is, is getting, you know, he just took this shot. He's flying towards the, bu- the building. Uh but Hal's able to, as as he's flying through another window, thanks to the shot from the construct of Kat Matui, he's able to use his ring construct again to contain the debris. And, and it's like a, Carol, he knows Carol's coming after him, and he comments, you know, I, I'll need like ten seconds to get that wreckage back to the top of Carol's building, and and, and but I'm not I'm not going to get it. <laughs> and at that point, uh, <clears throat> Hal's you know kind of like lament using our one of our favorite words for this, in this series, he's lamenting, Hal's kind of like, the, lamenting the fact, if I drop the debris and focus my rings, power on self-defense, dozens may die, and if I don't, Carol kills me, so it's like, kind of like decision time, and, at this moment, you know, Carol, you know, Carol shows up, through the window, and I think Hal's kind of, essentially trying to buy a little time here, and, you know, Hal, Carol's just going, kind of like, explaining to Hal, what she's doing, it's like, you know, it's like the Owens led my people away. They abandon, you know. The, they convince them to abandon me. You know, I, all I want is revenge. Pretty much, Hal. My life is empty. It's meaningless, and s- someone's got to make the pain stop. And Hal's like Hal's really sweating at this point. He's concentrating. You know, Carol's gem protects her, just like my ring protects me. It's like wait, her gemstone is set in a ring now. Maybe when maybe when she fires, and my beam can ride her beam, basically back to the point where it penetrates her force field. She's just, you know, basically, he's trying to, like, basically snap the ring off Carol's fingers before she, without her realizing it, which is kind of, I guess it's possible without her realizing it, but somehow this works, and the, sapp- and the ring, at, you know, the sapphire actually falls off, off her ring, the, the jewel, the crystal falls off her ring, she's like, oh, oh my ring, it's like, at this point, during all of this, Hal has still been holding the friggin' give Hal credit for willpower, a good demonstration of his willpower. All this time, and when all that was going on, he was still using his ring to hold, you know, to uh, hold on to the debris, which now he pretty much has now moved back to the top of the penthouse and uh, kind of puts it back together. <laughs> and, then, and, then he, and then he comes over to Cal, um, t- t- excuse me, to Carol, who's still kind of Upset about her ring, and she's a little disoriented because of losing the, the sapphire. <laughs> and then Hal's like, "Oh, I, I have to like I have to handle Carol the old-fashioned way." <laughs>
0: Poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then, and then Hal, you know, and then, <laughs> and then Hal proceeds for like multiple panels to pretty much beat the living shit out of Carol. <laughs> And the sad part is, based on the story, you kind of you kind of enjoying it a little. He's like slapping the shit out of Carol. And it's like a, she's out of control. You know, she's deadly. It's like the moment she gets her bearings, she'll regain her command of her jam, and I'll be out of gas. You know, because meanwhile, you know, how's like he is pretty gassed at this point. He's sweating. He's been using his willpower to a large to a large degree. And Carol, and he's looking at Carol, and he goes, "I basically I don't have a choice here." It's like Star Sapphire must die. You know, and and Hal's like, nothing, you know, the ring's not working, and then he's like, realizing, oh, it's not going to kill her unless I truly will it to do so. One of those great limitation things in the ring back in the day when you couldn't, when you couldn't kill of course. He's like, but I do want her, but I do want her dead, I think, and of course, Carol, you know, kind of using her, using her powers here to kind of, to distract Hal, uh, to weaken his concentration slightly. The police, the police show up, it's like, get your hands up, mister, you're dead, uh, Carol's, ge- all, at this moment, Carol's gemstone kind of erupts from, you know, basically where Hal shot, knocked it out of a ring, and basically it, sh- it shoots uh, lightning, sapphire lightning into the cops and into Hal, sending them all flying, Hal's kind of stunned at this point, Carol regains the, the crystal, the, you know, the sapphire goes back onto her ring. And she goes, you know, it's always good to see you, Hal. It's funny, you had me beaten, down and out, you, you know, with the with your the merest wish, you could have had me dead, but you couldn't do it. You saw in me the woman you once loved. Fool, that woman, no longer exists. I'm the queen of the Zamorans. Your masters took my people away, Hal, and now you must pay the price. Next week, the sentence, followed by the question, <laughs> or the period. Ugh. Um, she's freaking nuts and, and and I'm glad he slapped the shit out of her
0: yeah i i kind of i'm I'm kind of curious about the choice to have him slap her around a bunch i'm I don't know if maybe it was a choice by the uh the writer because this okay so Gil Kane is drawing this, so it already has a distinctly now, Gil Kane's art has evolved over the years, but it's it's still Gil Kane on Green Lantern. Yeah, so it so has an old-school it, look to it, yes. It, exactly. So I'm wondering if James Owsley slash Christopher Priest has that art style in mind already evoking that tone and decides to ride that and also make the story a almost Silver Age quality. Because if you notice... In the Action Comics Weekly series uh, uh, so far, of the uh, you know next next right after this this story, we're going to get the Secret Six story. The Secret Six story has no recap whatsoever. You're going straight into the story right where you left off from, from the prior uh, from the prior issue. Uh, same for the most part, except for maybe one narrative panel with the Dead Man story. Uh, and you know the Wild Dog story and the Black Hawk story and the Superman story only gets two pages every issue, so it doesn't have time to recap. <laughs> Green, Green Lantern is the only one that has this sort of recap in it. In this in, in this story, they use the device of the uh, 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 of the, the, the TV news report to do a bit of a recap, but you also have Hal's inner narrative do this too. And part of it's the the, the most jarring part, at least for me is uh, of that recap is i, I consider unnecessary is when Katma Tui's construct shows up and he's like katma john stewart's wife my friend star <laughs> sapphire killed her like we know that and part of the reason i see normally i wouldn't have a problem with recaps even comics from the 80s but this is a weekly series
1: Yep, and it just happened two weeks ago. <laughs> and, 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 well, for us. Uh,
0: it's, a, it's a weekly series that uh, coming out on a weekly basis. So people who are reading it didn't really forget what happened. Not only that, you've only got, see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes, you've got eight pages to tell this story when you only have six to eight pages to tell a story in an issue, even if it's weekly, you shouldn't sacrifice any panels whatsoever or any page space or narrative to give a recap. I mean, maybe one bubble. You know, like like on the Dead Man story, there's like one narrative paragraph. That's it. And then you go right into the story. So I, I just... I feel like be, the, this this story. So we get Gil Kane's art style. We get the fact that even though Carol Ferris murdered his best friend's one of his best friends' wife, who is also a close friend of friend of Hal, who threatened the lives of several thousand people in the city, uh, and is getting the better of him as he's trying to save people. He still elects to slap her around as opposed to punch her. Now this is the '80s, so you know it's not like you know we're not sensitive about you know gender equality and stuff like that today. But I feel like in the '80s it was a little more. I don't know what the word I want to use is. Maybe prevalent. Maybe at the forefront of pop culture uh, in the '80s. Would, would, would you say that's fair?
1: As in the awareness. Of, yes. Yeah, I think that's that's. That was probably the decade when it first started really gaining ground as far, you know, the domestic abuse and all that thing became just like even on regular TV shows where you started getting more storylines about things like that. So, yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably true.
0: So I can't I can't I can't really I feel like it was a conscious choice to have Hal slap her instead of punch her or do anything more severe than not that the slapping, you know, repeatedly isn't a uh, severe but Yeah, you get some good slaps in on her. <laughs> yeah, so 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 was it a conscious choice for the story? In other words, was it a conscious choice because the story has a sort of silver agey feel, and that's what they would have probably done in the sixties? Or was it a conscious choice because of you know them not wanting to rock the boat on a domestic violence sort of issue? I don't know. But I it, regardless, it feels like a a conscious choice. Now, I don't know if I'm completely off base on that, but that's just to me what it feels like.
1: No, I think I think I mean I think what what you're saying makes sense. I think I probably was all you know, to be fair, it probably was a creative a creative choice to uh double it because of the flash, because of the you know the throwback style if you will of of Gil Kane. Uh, and also because it Probably, and it's also showing, like you talked about, it, it's showing that despite every reason in the world for Hal to just lay into this person, and probably would if it wasn't Carol. It is Carol, so he can't he can't bring himself to uh, completely completely go off on uh, to go off on him. Yeah. Go on her, I should say. Uh, one thing, one thing I did kind of i'm looking i'm looking at this page the page the page when Hal actually smacks the crap out of Carol on the, the for the first time. It actually reminds me of of a piece of Gil Kane art from uh, the Gwen Stacy that Gwen Stacy storyline when uh, when Gwen Stacy died. I'm gonna try to get the picture and show it to you because I I was looking I was I was looking at that picture of um, the pose that Carol's body is in when she's getting when she's being knocked completely completely across the room. And I was wondering why you know, why it looked familiar. And it, it's it's I'm pretty sure it's certainly in this it's surely in the same vein as the story arc when uh, and that I think the the issue when uh, Gwen, when Gwen Stacy died or the follow up issue when uh, when the Green Goblin died. But I'll I'll take at the picture and show it to you. But that that's what it reminds me of. I think I think the artwork is very is very very similar to that. So I got to think. So I think that's kind of kind of cool too because that's what's that that's what struck me anyway by it <clears throat>
0: yeah I wouldn't I mean Gil Kane is a talented artist uh, no doubt Gil Kane is you know uh, one of the uh, classic DC artist household names uh, so I all do respect to 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 Gil Kane for sure however I still feel like you know, you look at several of these panels and notice a consistency uh, in in the the repertoire of poses that he uses and facial expressions. You can see those and and attribute them to other things you have seen in the past. Uh, particularly for me, now you said you noticed uh, that panel. Um, and I, I, I got the, the image you had sent me where he's knocking over, uh, what was this, Green Goblin? Yeah. Do you know what issue this is from?
1: That would, this, that actual picture has got to be from 121, because that was the issue Gwen Stacy died in. I know that, because they're fighting on the bridge. So that's, what that, that's where that actual picture, that actual panel comes from.
0: And that's Gil Kane
1: art? It should be Gil Kane art. I, I know Gil Kane did something in that story art, story because art, that's how I found this, <laughs> by looking for Gil Kane, Spider-Man so let me go back okay. and find, uh, uh
0: but uh, cause I, I'm noticing like the panel where Carol is standing over how the last panel, and that looks really familiar to me too. You know, so, so, you know, it's but at the same time, when you've been working in the industry, as long as Gil Kane, it's not like you can't, <laughs> it's, it's not like you can afford to not reuse poses.
1: Oh you know, yeah. A, absolutely. A, good, a
0: good, a good pose is a good pose if it conveys the action and it's it's it works in the story why the hell not right so otherwise otherwise i i i definitely enjoyed it i do like the sort of uh catch 22 that hal has to face here with uh you know either i take care of you know i deal with carol or i let this debris fall or i let this debris fall and deal with carol or i take a beating from carol and uh and uh and you know save a you know, the few dozen people below that by this this debris uh, might crush. So, so there's that. But it, it it sort of becomes a non-entity. Like, how does is is he consciously putting the building back together? Is he commanding his ring to do it for him? Is he fusing the material back together?
1: That's what it almost looks like at that point. Yeah, it looks because it, it looks like he's putting it back together the way it was.
0: Yeah. So there's that, uh, but I just I just feel like okay, so 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 each story in Action Comics Weekly is obvi- obviously its own its own tone, its own thing. But the Green Lantern story in particular seems, at least to to this point to to six oh three, so far seems like a thing apart. Uh, it's it's it feels like a Silver Age story. It's got sort of too much recap, uh, both at the the start of the story and, you know, with internal monologue or external monologue or whatever, uh, in-story, as opposed to the other stories that don't have that. So I don't know, because I try to mentally put myself in the situation, like, if I was buying these comics as they came out, would I continue buying the Action Comics Weekly series on a weekly basis at the price point that it was at at the time. And I look at the Green Lantern story and yes, I'm a Green Lantern fan, but I look at it and I go, I am probably more interested in the secret six, the black Hawk and kind of the dead man story. than I am Green Lantern at this point, not because Green Lantern is not interesting but it just seems like a, a Silver Age story script that never got produced, as opposed to new content. Now, yes. maybe, maybe that's your mind playing tricks on you because it's Gil Kane art. But I, like we were like, like 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 we were saying, I just feel like maybe Christopher Priest slash James Owsley is purposely writing the story in such a way as to cater to the Silver Age feel that Gil Kane's style brings to the, di- the, the title. So it's, it's sort of hard for me to know. Without knowing that piece of information, You know, how did Christopher Priest approach writing this, I read this as a Silver Age story that never made it to print that now we're getting in the pages of Action Comics Weekly, as opposed to a fresh story picking up where we left off with the Green Lantern universe.
1: It definitely has that feel to it.
0: Uh. I mean, you've, you've got John Stewart, Katma, you've got Aresia, you've got Kilowog, all the stuff that's sort of been set up. So it's clearly happening within the context of what's been happening in Green Lantern up until this point. But this issue, we don't see, uh, I mean, other than the construct, we don't see Katma, we don't see Kilowog, we don't see Aresia. Uh, we see John Stewart in you know just sort of an uh, in, in, in image of of a of, a, of uh, the the recap televisions uh, panels, but this issue is largely Silver Age Hal versus Silver Age Carol Ferris, so it's yeah. kind of it's, it's kind of hard to not look at this look at this and think Silver Age.
1: No, I think that's true. I think it does it does have that the whole vibe the way it looks the way it's written. Uh, I I can disagree. I think it does. It definitely has that vibe. So it does. It does make you. It, but the one thing we should be grateful for, grateful for at least, is that of the eight pages, at least we don't spend three of them with a flashback to Hal back in the Air Force. <laughs> how how Hal's experience in the Air Force has prepared him for this moment. <laughs> you know what I mean, Chad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is something at least. I like this. I think. The, I still think the first issue of this arc so far is the best but this is probably was the second best. maybe I just liked seeing her get the crap knocked out of her because she deserved it but I don't know at least it maybe more ha- I think there was just was a lot more going on in this issue which I think than the, than the last issue to right me, anyway yeah
0: that's 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 probably true. I just yeah especially this story feels like a thing apart from the other stories we're getting in action comics weekly. So just felt that worth mentioning. No, I think Uh,
1: absolutely. All right.
0: Anything else you want to say about this story?
1: No, I'm curious to see how it plays out, how it, how it continues to play out. Uh, It might be, then again, because it's a weekly book, you have to understand that these things probably are being drawn out on purpose because it is a weekly book, (laughs) but it, I, even through three parts in, I'm kind of getting the vibe a little bit that this story might be going on a little bit longer than it really needs to, and maybe that maybe a lot of that was actually you know, resid- the residual residual effect from the second part, since that seemed to be the most dry, if you will. Yeah. But we'll see. Hope I'm, I'm curious to see what happens next, and hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll get it'll pick up, it'll pick up a little more steam or continue to build steam at least towards the conclusion.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, before we go to break, uh, where can people find you across the net?
1: People can find me across the net, lanterncast.com. You can email me, lanterncast at gmail.com. Let's see, we're on Facebook, lanterncast. GLcast, you can use us to find pretty much anywhere, but lanterncast, if you search for that on Facebook, you'll find us too, you and I. Um... I have, a, I have my own Facebook page, Mark Marble. You can look for me there. We can download the episodes of The Lantern Cast, the regular episodes that Chad and I do. Chad has his Green Arrow spinoff. I have a spinoff, the pre-birth with Jim Ford, which in which we discuss Hal's time as the specter. You can find all those not only on our website, but you can also download those on iTunes and Stitcher.
0: Awesome. All right, guys, we are going to take a quick promotional break. And when we come back, the new adventures of the Secret 6 Woohoo! To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe, the origins of DC as a whole.
1: It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age.
0: It's the introduction of a universal police force.
1: It's the formation of the JLA.
0: It's the emergence of the multiverse.
1: It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this
0: and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists.
1: So find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up.
0: All right, guys, we are back from break, and back with yet another Secret Six tale. Uh, and of course, since we are talking Secret Six, had to bring back at least one more time Ben Avery. Ben, how you doing, sir? Doing well. Doing well. Awesome. Awesome. So we're back with Secret Six, the team we know nothing about, uh, <laughs> other than this particular <laughs> Action Comics Weekly storyline. we're learning.
2: Line. We're learning.
0: We are learning, and we're learning quick. Um the last last uh, issue, last time around, it was a notable improvement from from the the first time around, uh, in terms of getting us to care about some of these characters and, you know, <laughs> extinguishing those we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, this time around, we were obviously picking up right where we left off. So, go ahead, man, take it away. What happens in this particular story?
2: Well, in the last issue, we ended with the original team of the Secret Six crashing into the side of a mountain. And in this issue, we open with the explosion still continuing. And we ended last issue with Vic walking into the street. His uh, mechanical eyes have been shut down. And we open this one with Vic in the middle of the street uh, getting rescued by uh, Luke McKendrick, who has the the, uh, mechanical legs now. And as they walk away and, and back to the hotel where they're staying, the eyes come back online, power comes back on, and the team comes back to that warehouse where they first met with Mockingbird. This time it's not a recording. Uh, that's something we didn't really talk about, but every other time Mockingbird spoke in a recording to the, the two groups of Secret six and that's partially because uh, the identity of Mockingbird is a secret. and since it's a recording, it could be almost anyone. And so I wonder, you know this time it's a live conversation, uh, if it's if Mockingbird is meant to be one of the original secret six, I don't know how that's happening because they were in a car, a plane accident, but uh, yeah, he gives them uniforms and he tells them you can, you're going to work for me. You're going to be a vigilante force. You're going to serve justice. We're going to do this together and you have secret powers or I guess they're not secret for some of them because totally visible on their head, but you have these powers that you're going to use and your, your particular uh, set of skills to uh, help fight evil and so that was June 7th. We're now to June 23rd, a few weeks later. They answer the call to come and get uh, a, a mission, uh, their first mission. And we get some details on this acid rain. And, yeah, the details are that uh, Orsonville, Kansas, was, was virtually destroyed by a bizarre storm. Uh, $1 million in damage, 917 people dead. But some people think that this uh, corrosive compound was deliberately put into the environment by Technodyne. Their plant that was there was um, was unscathed. And so they think that it was them who did it and they were trying to, you know, they're, they're, it's this, this whole big conspiracy. But it's centered around Elvis Brockman, who is uh, just, he's, he, they call him a Wonder Kid. Uh, he looks like he's 12 years old. And yeah, so he the, the, the mission is to go and um, verify the truth about what Technodine did and discredit Elvis Brockman, make him a laughingstock, make him a mockery. And that's why he's Mockingbird, right? So their plan has something to do with the Halloween nightmare movies that Elvis is obsessed with. And our Hollywood uh, special effects man worked on those movies, and so he's going to do something with that. Meanwhile, Vic and Luke go to infiltrate the base. And from there, we have two hikers discover the wreckage of the aircraft that carried the original team. It's been a couple weeks, but there's still a hand there. And I think it's just a hand right now. Uh, Yeah, honey, it's not really a body, just an arm. (laughs) so yeah i I, i'm still not convinced that they're dead although that hand belongs to someone who is going to if they're not dead they're they're in some serious trouble for sure um
0: Um, i like it and now this is this is where we get into some of the stuff that see i didn't want to shoot my bolt the first time around the first couple of times around in terms of you know stuff i had on mind to talk about when we were discussing secret six Mm -hmm. so i kind of i kind of figured i'd save some of this for now this is where secret six sort of takes on a different meaning for me as as a teen particularly with that last line from mockingbird where he says uh your first assignment verify that technodyne itself caused the deaths in orsonville and destroy the chemical responsible and publicly discredit Elvis Brockman at that press conference, Mockingbird, out. Like, their mission is to get rid of this chemical and not just that. Like, you're, you're not there to kill the people in charge. You're not there to, you know, blow up their their factory. You're there to publicly discredit them. Like, hold them accountable for their actions. Which is odd to me, because several, you know, the the first time around we were talking about the Secret Six, I said my only real exposure to them had been during Blackest Night. Well, the new Secret Six, now, keeping in mind, I haven't read much of it, the new Secret Six seems very much like a Suicide Squad light slash ripoff. It's a group of villains.
2: Oh, Okay, so you're talking about the the
0: newer Secret Six than this? The yes, Secret the Six. modern, okay. the modern Secret Six. Yeah. As it exists today, it is a group of villains. So it feels very much like a Suicide Squad type of thing, which, because I sort of had oh, Secret Six is like Suicide Squad in my head that's why I was reading this. And then when I got to this particular story, I was like, Oh, this wasn't what I was expecting at all. Uh. You know, they're not going to rough up somebody or, or whatever. I mean, I'm sure that'll happen in the course of the story, but that's not the goal. So I think that's very interesting.
2: Yeah. I like it. I mean, this is where for me now, the high concept is kicked into high gear. Uh, this is the kind of missions they're going to be given. I mean, this is an A team kind of thing. This is a superhero A team, but you know, because you know, the A team never killed anyone. They, but they always, you know, the, the bad guys always got their comeuppance. And I, I'm thinking there's a lot of real potential here behind a team who is setting out not to kill and destroy, uh, like you know, vigilante justice. You know, this isn't the Punisher. This is you're you're setting out to just in the public eye, stop these people, you know, and and make them look like the fools they are, or you know, just make them, uh, pay for their crimes, but in the public eye. And I like this idea. I I really like this idea. I don't know what the mission is going to look like at all. Uh, I think the A team vibe for me comes from that line where. You know, I worked on that movie that he really likes and I'm going to work up something. And it just seems to me like, you know, Hannibal putting on a costume or, you know, whatever. But this is it kicks in right here. And I like this concept. This is I'm sold now. Like, you know, I I want to read the rest of the Secret Six stuff just right now. You know, I I don't want to wait because. I want to find out, OK, what's this mission going to look like? How, you know, how are they going to turn the tables? You know, you have this kid wearing pajamas you know, who's running a business. What does that mean? Um, so that's where, OK, if this is these three issues, if these eight page chapters each, 24 pages, if this was the end of issue one, I'm sold. I want to buy issue two. But that chapter one that was eight pages did not sell me. You know, I don't wanna I don't care what happens next if I'm gonna buy the next issue for, for Secret Six. But on here, this cliffhanger, I'm I'm sold. And I really, really like this a lot.
1: So far,
0: yeah, it's it's extremely enjoyable. And it, speaking of towards what I said about it, I didn't want to shoot my bolt the first couple of times we, we discussed this. I've I'm not a team book reader. I discovered while thinking about this just today, just today or today or yesterday, I was thinking about this, and I'm not, I'm not a fan of team books. I'm a fan of group books. Now here's where I make the distinction: Suicide Squad, I don't care about. Doom Patrol, I don't care about. I'm sorry, guys. I know there's some serious Doom <laughs> Patrol fans out there. Um, it has nothing to do with the characters in particular. It has nothing to do with the concept. It has. I'm not a team book guy. So, you know, as far as the Suicide Squad, Doom Patrol, Metal Men, even Justice League, Avengers, I'm not a team book kind of a guy. It's part of the reason I never really even got into X-Men. I like specific characters. So I don't really necessarily attach to X-Men the team, but I like Gambit. I like Mm -hmm. Firestar. You know, those particular characters. Now, where I make the distinction in between team and group, I'm a big Green Lantern fan. So Green Lantern and you have Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, it's kind of a team book, but the roster is changing, the who's involved in a certain mission is changing. It's they're all sort of the same character in terms of power level and what they can do and what their end objective is. Um and it, it, on the Marvel side of things, I'm a big fan of Thor. And when in in particular Thor's world, Asgard, so you've got you know, the Warriors 3 and Sif mm-hmm. and you've got Balder and, you, you know, all those characters, they're all kind of of a piece. Whereas, you know, Doom Patrol, Metal Men, you know, Suicide Squad, Justice League, Avengers, X-Men, they, they're all a team, but they're all very different people, very different characters. Which, for whatever reason, has never really appealed to me. So when we when I decided I was going to be doing the Action Comics Weekly podcast, this was the storyline that I was really angsty about. Like I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to deliver, you know, my best podcasting performance <laughs> reading this. But I like this. This is really good uh, for for what it is, and I say that not just as a as a comics reader. And someone who's sort of a fan of of the '60s uh, era stuff, it, at least in terms of art, this is very '60s, uh, maybe '70s if you want to go there. But I definitely wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't look at this story on its own and know it came from an '80s title. If that makes sense. Yeah, and the story
2: feels '80s to me now. Okay. Yeah. This chapter, but the art still feels more of a '60s kind of vibe to it.
0: Okay. And I don't have an experience with things like a team and stuff like that, so i didn't I didn't necessarily make that connection, but I you know kind of going in and thinking this was uh, suicide squad light and then getting the presentation of what their mission and their objective really is that was like, oh, so there's that preconceived notion gone, and then me going in knowing I'm not necessarily a big team book guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, coming out the other end of this going, "Wait, who's mocking her? What's going on? like how are they gonna discredit it like is 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 even a team can can a team of just random people discredit a a company and still maintain their uh, uh anonymity like like you know thinking all of these things." Uh, you know, and all of this, and I, I do agree with you. I, at this point, I have no idea who Mockingbird is. So if you guys listen, are listening out there, don't spoil. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, re, re, don't, don't spoil it in your, in your feedback. Uh, but I, I, just looking at this one panel where he Mockingbird on the television says, A wise choice, and then this guy goes, Mockingbird transmitting live? And he says, For the first and last time. So I feel like this is a hint. Like, something has happened to Mockingbird, and whoever Mockingbird is, to kind of throw a wrench in his plans. And he's got to kind of think on the fly and do some stuff that he, he, he didn't have time to record. Yeah. So, I don't know if that means he's connected to the original Secret Six, because there was just a big plane crash. That's definitely something that can throw a wrench in your plans, or, or whatever. Um so I, I I don't know what it is, but I feel like that panel is a hint in some way.
2: Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, now I'm I'm pretty clearly seeing okay, there's good motives behind what what uh, the mockingbird wants, and so because of his look, because of that KKK look, because of that Cobra Commander look, because of that look, I just assumed there's something nefarious about this guy and then i get to this chapter and well no i mean unless he is like i'm going to make you guys do good things so i can discredit my you know competition in evil or something like that but he's probably good and i i i want to know who he is you know i'm i'm very curious now who this guy is and i i want to see the mission play out and i could totally see this being a, a hour long Weekly TV show in 1988. Now it's it's a eight page long weekly comic story in, 18, in 1988. So we're not getting a beginning, middle, and end to the mission every week. But I could totally see this, you know, being on NBC after Knight Rider or something like that in in the late 80s. And I could totally see it either doing really well or just tanking because. Quality didn't necessarily mean it was going to last on, you know, in the '80s on TV. But yeah, this is—I'm intrigued, and I'm intrigued. You know, this isn't this isn't Alan Moore, this isn't Neil Gaiman, this isn't Steve Gerber. You know, these are writers that I really appreciate and, and enjoy because of the depth of the writing. That's not happening here. There's not a whole lot of thematic depth, but there is some. Just interesting story stuff going on.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, I th- I think that's important to note too because uh, I've I've mentioned several times uh, on my other show, the Lantern Cast that I do with my my co-host Mark Marble, um, several times. What what I want to see from the the current Lantern titles is things like you know I want Hal Jordan back on Earth slash Sector Two Eight One Four. And I want the newly created character of Simon Baz, that Green Lantern, to be his sector partner. And my whole reasoning behind that is because as Green Lantern fans, and I'm going off on a total Green Lantern tangent. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, you expect I, I told you this was going to happen a long time ago. It, it was likely to happen. But in, in terms of the Simon Baz character, if you're a Green Lantern fan and you're sort of sticking with the Green Lantern side of things... You don't consider the Justice League, Justice League of America titles to be of a piece with the Green Lantern Universe titles. So if you're buying Lantern books, you're not buying Justice League along with them unless you're already reading that story. So since Simon Baz was introduced in the pages of Justice League and hasn't really had much exposure characterization inside the actual pages of the main Green Lantern book since the day he was introduced... A lot of people Lantern fans go, you know, if you're going to kill off an Earth character from the Green Lantern universe, it needs to be Simon Baz. Because we don't know anything about him, we don't care about him, we don't need him. Well, he was created by Geoff Johns, <laughs> so I highly doubt Simon Baz is going anywhere. But if you want to make me care about him, then put him in a main title. And since... I don't know anything about him and there's no draw for me to pick up the main title that he'd be appearing in, put him alongside somebody else I would care about. Hal Jordan. Well, why do I want Hal Jordan on Earth? Because Hal Jordan has family on Earth. I think Hal has been in space too long. And there, you know, I, I could go on a total rant and I'm not going to on this podcast. <laughs> these segments, uh, you know, these segments get to be pretty long at times. So I don't want to do that to you guys. But suffice it to say, Throughout the history of Green Lantern, there have been several times where things get deep and meaningful and interesting, and then the Green Lantern side of the things goes off into space and they deal with crazy stuff like Quard and, you know, spacey, sci fi cool stuff. And then it just gets too repetitive, too campy, too whatever after a while, and they have to bring it back down. That's why you get things like the 60s era ending with then Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams coming on and bringing Hal back down to Earth. There are several times where Hal needs to come back down to Earth. Well, I think we're approaching that phase in Green Lantern where it's time to bring him back down. And I think, you know, I, the, the whole reason I mention all of this is because I don't just want to see those characters in that setting. I want to see those characters in that setting because of the deeper ramifications to that setting. Hal interacting with his family, trying to establish a relationship with Carol Ferris, the intricacies of it. And that's that's something I've been fighting for, saying, ranting about on the Lantern cast several times over. So it's really interesting to me, reading this, bringing it back to Secret Six, reading this, and you say there's not a whole lot of really depth to this, but I'm still interested in it. Mm-hmm. That's cool to me, yeah. that there there is not a lot of intricacy in this. But it's still something I'm like, oh, I wonder what happens next. Well, and
2: what what you're getting, when I analyze stories, sometimes I'll use a a four-part quadrant. And so you have theme, and you have character, and you have style, and then you have plot. And this is very much in that heavy, heavy in that plot quadrant. The characters are there, but we don't know too much about them. We still don't know what's going on with with Vic and and the blonde woman and, and Gary. Uh, we don't know any of that detail, uh, as far as theme goes, there's, there's some element of, you know, doing the right thing, I guess. And, you know, what are the reasons you're doing it for, but not a lot there. Um, but this is about plot. This is about, okay, who is Mockingbird? This is about how are they going to do this mission? This is about, um, you know, the plane crash, even if they're, if they, if they are not alive, if they are all dead, the plane crash is important enough to keep coming back to it you know and so you have the hikers discovering the crash and you have you know that's pretty much it right now I guess you had them die though you had the, the crash itself I guess but um and so this is very much about plot and it's interesting enough that like I said I'm, I'm sold I want to I want to I wanna dive in and not go week by week with the other stories that are here <laughs> Uh, not that they're not good. I mean, I'm enjoying those as well, but uh, yeah, I'm Secret Six. I'm sold on. I didn't know anything about them before you brought this up and said, you know, who's interested in doing what, and and then gave me the opportunity to come on here and talk about this with you. Uh, I didn't know anything about them before that, and now, you know, I'm sad that, uh, from what I understand, after Action Comics Weekly is done, this team, I, I don't know if they appear anymore anywhere. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't even know what happens next with these guys, but I feel a little bit sad about that. So, yeah,
0: yeah uh, I, I said last, last time that I would go into some issue, some information I found about Technodyne in the DC Universe. It's not a lot, but it's something. Uh, so it's, uh, just in terms of what I found online, Technodyne Industries was a research and development firm located in Manchester, Alabama. The Technodyne CEO was Richard Nordstrom. Okay, that's, that's just sort of the, 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 the blip uh, I found on, on, on the internet. Now, Richard Nordstrom is not Elvis Brockman <laughs> that we see here. So I'm guessing that this Technodyne becomes something else later on. But the only reason I bring it up is because evidently in the DC universe... Uh, it says Manchester is a small rural community located in the state of Alabama for a brief period of time. the super speed superheroes known as Max, Mercury and Impulse called Manchester their home. So evidently Technodyne uh, is or goes on to be an established industry hmm. within the DC universe.
3: That's
2: cool. It seems to me so- like Technodyne really just becomes you know, something that you could put into Smallville or something you know like hey let's just pull that's of these these names here that we can uh you know name drop in into the story when we need a we need bad guy scientists or something like that but
0: so you get uh well so star labs is is often one of them the other one uh oh what's the other one uh what was it star labs who did the newsboy lead the clone newsboy legion
2: i think so i i don't know uh, and that's like you, you just went to the very reaches of my my DC knowledge <laughs> but I think I do yeah I, I don't know though
0: there's there's always I mean star labs has not always been uh, known for what it's known for now in DC continuity like you know if you watch like the flash and stuff star labs isn't necessarily a nefarious organization uh, but I think there's there's several of these. You know, kind of shady companies that, <laughs> that deal in high tech research uh, in the DC universe, and it looks like Technodyne is fast becoming a another one of a piece with that. But I'm I'm really into it now. I wanted to ask you before we before we go. Yeah, you said uh, when we first when we first started r- recording in in the first episode that you are experienced as a both editor and a writer. Mm-hmm. Okay. I listen to a podcast uh, known as Final Issue Podcast, and what these guys do is they go about and you know kind of have three, four, five topics of conversation between professionals in the comic industry, writers, editors, uh, publishers, uh, even comics journalists, and it's the same, same, essentially the same group of people every time. But they, you know, they, they, they tackle these subjects from a professional standpoint. And one of the – they were talking about uh, one of their episodes, uh, one of the subjects was what does a first issue need to accomplish? So now I'm asking you the same question, but I'm asking you to look at it two different ways. Okay. From what a first issue – from what I understood coming out of the other side of that uh, that episode that I listened to, they said – From a professional standpoint, a first issue needs to grab you. It needs to make you want to read the next title. It needs to – the the next issue. It makes you want to – you need to establish a a caring base about the characters. But also, even though you have a whole first issue to do that, those first few pages still need to grab you. Regardless of the content of where you end up at the end of the issue – Those first few pages also need to be a good grabbing on point because if you're at a con or whatever and someone picks up that first issue off your table and flips through it, they don't flip to the middle and keep going. They open it up and they go, okay, am I interested in this? So if you were to take, as you mentioned, these three eight-issue stories and put them in a first issue, does this, to your mind, to your professional mind – Kind of accomplish the goal of a first issue, and if you split it up the way it really was published, and you read re-read six oh one in that particular eight issue story of uh, uh, of the Secret Six, does that accomplish any kind of goal? Is is you know it, you see what I'm saying here?
2: Yeah. Okay. As it stands, that eight issues or eight ten, eight pages, that does not accomplish the goal. You know and. It, it doesn't grab anything. Uh, and if this was a 24 page issue and I was picking it up, you know, in a store to decide if I was going to buy it. Um, if, if I was coming in cold and didn't know what it was and was just looking at the first few pages of that chapter one in, in issue six, one, I, I wouldn't be interested. I would just see lots and lots of words, not a lot of action. And then if I even started reading the pages and realized, I'm just have all these names thrown at me. And then all of a sudden I'm introduced to characters who don't have names. Uh, It doesn't, it doesn't work. In fact, you know what I would do? I was thinking about this. I would open first page would be the plane crashing into the mountain. I'd start with that and then maybe go into a flashback. to see what they're on there for. They're on there to train the new secret six. And then we go to the new secret six. Maybe, you know, I haven't fully thought through, you know, because I don't have to write this, so I'm not like spending all my time thinking, oh. about, how am I going to crack this story? But I would open with something, you know, a little more exciting, uh or open with them in the middle of a mission, and and then you know go back in time, and you know, because that's that's the reason why they do flashbacks so much, where they'll start in the middle, uh you know, reading a lot of those old Marvel, Star Wars, and um, Human Fly and, and all all those old Marvel sci-fi books that I've been reading for comic with Time Machine, they almost all open on a splash page that's in the middle of some sort of action and then either continue with the action and flashback as you go along or just cut right to flashback. You know, how do we get here where Human Fly is in a tank with a shark or something? You know, it's just open with something that's going to grab you and then... Then you go back and take the time to set up the story, and 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 get back to that point. But yeah, th- that's the unfortunate thing here: is it took three chapters for me to just really want to sink my my teeth into the story and mm-hmm. find out what's going on. If they had started earlier, you know, I I almost wonder. Yeah, I, I wonder what the reaction was, to this the Secret Six by by the people who were actually reading it, at the time. And yeah, you know, I haven't read ahead, so I don't even know if we get to. Did they do a letters
0: page in Action Comics Weekly? With that, uh, my digital editions do not have letters pages in them. But uh, if they, because my digital editions also don't have ads okay. or anything in them, so have- I, I do have the I do have the hard copies. So I will be looking into those. And you know, if there's anything of actual uh, specific relevance that addresses something that we've been talking about specifically on one of the shows, I'll bring it up. Uh, towards the end of the episode
2: hey there is there's a letters page in 603 i was just i haven't read the whole the whole issue of 603 but you know people talking about wild dog a lot of wild dog wild dog wild dog wild dog he's the dc punisher these are letters about wild dogs miniseries last year's wild dog miniseries proved to be one of the most successful miniseries published by anybody in 1987
0: Wait. So the the four issue Wild Dog miniseries I, I talked about a while back that I bought that that I has to do with...
2: think that that's a that takes place before. Really. Yeah.
0: Well, that's gonna be interesting. All right. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, so bef- be- before we go, so I just just to kind of clarify your thoughts there. So even if this was a single issue, twenty four page story, just taking the three stories that you and I have read together over these, the course of these three episodes. And putting them into a single issue, this still necessarily, the way it is laid out, wouldn't completely do the job of a first issue.
2: Well, I think it does do the job of a first issue. That opening scene doesn't. This does right. do the job where it sets up who are who are we with, what are they about. Uh, now, it doesn't completely set up what are they about, and it doesn't really give me a whole lot of information about, you know, what do they care about? Who do they care about? What do they want in life? You know, all those kind of things. It doesn't completely set that up, but we know that, about their disabilities. And that, that's pretty much, unfortunately, that's pretty much the, the, the end of characterization for them is, oh, I, I can now walk. And and so I'm going to do these missions. Uh, but then it also sets up what what kind of stories are we, were we getting into? What's our story engine? that we're we're developing here, what kind of missions are we going to have, Uh, what are the mysteries that are going to be solved. So there are, that's why in this eight pages, I'm hooked, I'm sold, but everything that happens in this eight pages and then some of the previous eight and very little of the first eight uh, really push me and get me interested. But yeah, I can't wait for 604.
0: Yeah, because it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a buck fifty issue for this for this many pages, which at the time was pretty expensive. So I guess you really can't afford because I I don't know if if, if necessarily eighties readers uh, late eighties readers are looking at this title and just buying it blindly because it has one story they're interested in. I'm I'm assuming that at the, at this point in time, you know, because the 80s are, you know, they're laughed at, but they're, they're, it's a period of big change in the comic book industry in terms of really innovative storytelling and trippy stuff and dark stuff. Mm-hmm. So that typically lends to an older reader. So I wouldn't be surprised if an older reader is looking at this going, okay, it's a fifty per issue. It's out weekly. So you know, per month I'm spending six bucks or so yeah. on, a, on a comic. Is are over 50% of this good enough? Are, are over 50% of these stories good enough for me to justify that spending? And if it, 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 I kind of feel like especially when we covered 601 I feel like each of those should have should have accomplished a a a grab moment. Yeah. And and the the, the first secret 6 story you and I covered really didn't whereas these these definitely do. The second one significantly better. The third one we're in. Yeah. But, you know, people are making that is it worth my money decision in 601? They 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 weren't going, "Eh, I maybe see potential here and I'll wait a couple of issues."
2: now here's the other thing though i want to i want to just throw out there and i don't know um if anyone else has talked about this but marvel comics presents this action comics weekly reminds me of marvel comics presents which lasted 175 issues and it was a dollar 25 four stories in each issue uh i believe there are eight pages each in there um but, you know, Wolverine plastered on every cover. <laughs> now, it was supposed to be rotating X-Men, but it was Wolverine, and then it was Cyclops, and then it was Colossus, and then it was Wolverine, 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 Wolverine. Um, but those stories, that they had two or three continuing and then always one shot of just kind of a rotating character that would take that one-shot, eight-page story. And I feel like that was a much more successful approach of doing things than – this this more scattershot action comics weekly here um but i also feel like the stories and you now i'm specifically comparing to secret six they started out with high interest openings and making you want to you know know what's going to happen next because it's weird or it's funky or it's exciting and we didn't get that until the third one here for for secret six
0: All right Okay, man. Anything else you want to say about this story? That's
2: it. I, I don't really have much more to say here other than, you know, if I'm, uh, if I never come back, I've, I've read something good that hooked me in. So
0: <laughs> You'll definitely be invited back Thank at some point you in the future. For
2: making me read this.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. I, you know, I need somebody for, you know, <laughs> hero hotline or phantom lady or uh, <laughs> something like that. I, I like this. I like the funky
2: off kilter weird stuff. Um i I just and I also like the stuff that's not really heavily connected to Canon um because I like concepts. I love green Lantern but I, I it's impenetrable to me right now uh, because of just the backstories and all the stuff to catch up on and um I miss a jumping point and then I'm like, oh, it's too late now because they've already <laughs> there's more stuff, you know, so the uh, same with X-Men, you know, that's why I love what ifs, I love what ifs and else worlds.
4: It's, mm. it's concepts that i
2: already know and that's why i'm loving secret six right now i don't have to know them very well other than the old team that's dead we'll find out
0: <laughs> all right man you'll definitely be invited back but in the meantime where can people find you
2: uh you can find me at welcome to Level 7com dot com where we talk about the marvel cinematic universe movies tv netflix all that stuff uh episode by episode and also Comic with Time Machine, where I talk about comic books with some co-hosts. I, my main focus there right now is those Marvel science fiction epi- uh, issues that I was talking about, including Marvel movie one-shots and stuff like that. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Deep. Um, I started out that series talking about Jack Kirby's 2001, which, yeah, talk about some funky, weird, offbeat stuff. That was awesome. And then I also have a podcast called Strangers and Aliens where we talk about science fiction and faith and fantasy and Christianity. So, yeah. Awesome. My places where you can find me. Oh, and BenAvery.com.
0: So. Of course, of course. All right, man. We'll definitely have you back at some point in the future. It was a joy kind of experiencing these uh, these th- this group of characters for the first time together. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was great talk. So we'll definitely be back in, uh, down the line. So thank you so much for for coming on the show uh, for these first three episodes and uh, and and experiencing the secret six with me. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. All right, guys, we're going to take a break. And we come when we come back, we will have everybody's favorite spook, dead man.
2: A long time ago on a spinner rack far, far away. From 1977 to 1986, Marvel Comics published comics based on the blockbuster movie hit Star Wars. Hey, I remember that comic. But Star Wars was not the only comic Marvel published based on someone else's property. Really? Tell me more. I will. I'll tell you much more. In podcast form, Marvel's Cosmic Comics, a podcast covering Marvel's licensed publishing during the first Star Wars era. Like what? Well, Star Wars, of course. Of course. And Micronauts classic rom space knight better than it should be shogun warriors no idea what it is but it sounds awesome john carter warlord of mars i've heard of that star trek motion picture era in godzilla that was a comic man from atlantis so aquaman jack kirby's 2001 a space odyssey wait really that's a thing a human fly what he was a real life stunt man you're just making stuff up now aren't you i wish i were and there's much much more Anyway, join comic book fan, collector, and writer Ben Avery as he explores the good, the bad, and the ugly of Marvel's licensed sci fi comics. Marvel's Cosmic Comics, found wherever you catch your podcasts and on the web at comicbooktimemachine.com.
0: All right, guys, Ben and I are done talking about Secret Six, so we're moving on to the Dead Man segment. And since I'm talking Deadman, of course, I had to bring back fellow blogger, Doug Zavisha. How you doing, sir? Doing
5: great, Chad. How are you, sir?
0: I am awesome. We are talking Deadman, and that is fine with me. The story may be wanting, but uh, Deadman himself is not, so I am uh, I'm okay. <laughs> Excellent.
5: And before we get into the Deadman story, though, since we're coming out of Secret Six, can I just ask you one thing? Yeah, sure. On page six... Down at the bottom left, what's Seth Rogen doing there?
0: <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Now oh. keep in
5: mind, I have not read these Secret Six installments, but I was flipping through and I went, "My God, that looks just like Seth Rogen."
0: You know, I, I think I think you need to give these Secret Six, uh, <laughs> the Secret Six story, a, a, a shot. And I I'll, might. T- I'll, I'll I'll tell you why because I wasn't in on the first story. Um there was a lot of stuff in there that wasn't and I, and I said it in the prior segment. But this story after this third part, I I'm, I'm in. It's it's completely sold me. Um it's and I and I said and I'm sorry cuz I I mentioned that I knew somebody who did a uh, who who is a fan of th- things like Doom Patrol and I specifically specifically mentioned Doom Patrol. So I apologize. That's right. But But I said that initially Secret Six didn't interest me because my only experience, and this is, you know, early on in the podcast, um, you know, first episode or so, that Secret Six didn't interest me because my first experience with them was during Blackest Night, when the team of Secret Six was more uh, villains uh, or, you know, anti-heroes or whatever. So I sort of always thought of Secret Six as yet another Suicide Squad. Okay, And that's... Kind of how I also now I know they're not this, but that's kind of how I also view things like Doom Patrol. Is Doom Patrol, Secret Six, Suicide Squad to me now I intellectually I know they're not, but but on the surface I look at those all and see they're all sort of the same thing in my mind. And the Secret Six story, this Secret Six story in Action Comics Weekly. This is something different. The Secret Six you're getting in comics now is not the Secret Six that was originally intended to be. Like these, this is this is interesting. This is like, and I think Ben made the comparison. The eight, a- it's like a, it's like a, almost in, like an A Team story. Hmm. So it's kind of it's it, it's an A Team story, but not. It's it's really cool. I I enjoy it. But then again, I I also said uh, I also said in that that part of the reason I didn't really take to like Secret Six and Doom Patrols because I'm just not like a team book kind of guy. Okay. I like the concepts, but I don't follow the books very long because I'm a group book kind of guy. Like I made the comparison, like you know, I've always liked Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps, but they're all sort of the same character, you know. And the and, and same same with Thor. Like I like Thor, and I also like when we do the whole Asgard thing, but it's not necessarily a team book with okay. different characters with different personalities. It, it's I don't know. I I don't know how my mind makes that distinction. But I've never been a team book kind of a guy. But the fact that I'm not a team book kind of a guy, but I still came out liking the Doom Patrol, or the, uh, sorry. The, the Secret Six story in this, uh, man, you, you got to give it a shot. Uh, it's probably right. one of the better ones I've been reading so far in the Action Comics Weekly story. It's 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 the one that's taken me by surprise the most, I can tell you that.
5: All right, we'll give it a go.
0: <laughs> well, you have to. Cause you're gonna read it, right? Yeah, that's right. you got the comics, and you're listening to the show. <laughs> if only to hear your own voice, you're listening to the show.
5: <laughs> that's certainly not the reason I'm listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where did we leave dead man last time?
5: Deadman man is atop a Mayan pyramid or a, I'm sorry, a Mayan temple, an ancient Mayan temple facing down Telaok, who is uh, the God of war or uh, the war God as they're referring to him here. And um, they are in the midst of a, a scheme going on around this temple um, where there was a, a, CIA, yes, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, swap of guns for drugs uh, so that they could, I don't know, it gets political. I'm trying not to uh, get too deep into the political nature of it and focus more on the dead man nature of it. And this story is written by Mike Baron, drawn by Dan Juergens, inked by Tony D. D-, D-
0: <laughs> Tony D. <laughs> We're well into a wow. dead man's segment with Doug Zavisha, guys. I can tell you that much. Yes, Notice yes. how I've been able to say your last name each time without any help.
5: Yep, <laughs> yep. And, and I can't do the same for Tony. And it is just a, a darn shame. There's like three words that trip me up in my life, and, and Tony Dizuniga happens to be one of them. Humble apologies. Uh, Lettered by Steve Haney, uh, colored by Liz Baroub, and edited by. Barbara Randall, who will eventually become Barbara Kessel. And then I'm not sure if she ever returned to Randall, but uh, neither here nor there. And page opens with uh, a great shot of Deadman kind of frolicking into action (laughs) over his shoulder. That's a
0: great uh, line. Frolicking into action.
5: Exactly. The reader sees Deadman squaring up and and shouting at his opponent, Tela Hey, why can everybody see us? So what happens is Deadman and Taloc start um, comparing notes and basically just harassing each other. While in the background, you've got this Major Kassaba who has been running this operation, uh, in part controlled by Talaak, And she is uh, holding off or keeping at bay uh, a professor from the Dakota Wesleyan University who is investigating the Mayan temple for its historical uh, importance, whereas Cassava is more interested in what weapons and uh, other gear can we find here and using the temple as a base of operations for her uh, criminal operations or not so criminal or covert operations. We'll say Um, page two, we get some, some pretty dynamic shots uh, as the story goes along, which uh, Jurgens and DeZuniga used to kind of show all the players in this narrative except for one close-up shot of Major Cassava with some really unfortunate ink shading that makes her look like she's got one hell of a mustache rocking. Um, but they're atop this temple and this is honestly the third installment of this story and the most detail paid to the temple so far. Uh, truly looks a lot more like a Mayan temple, or at least like the images of Mayan temples I've seen to uh, this point in my life. Uh, So Deadman and Talahak start swinging at it and and getting into fisticuffs. And as happens, they wind up in the air because they're both ghosts. And Deadman points that out to Talahak and says, Hey, did you know you could do this? Could you do this when you were alive? And Talahak goes, Of course I could. I'm a god. And he tries to... Uh, Hold on to the the god aspect of his belief. Uh, But then their course of conversation comes back around to well, what happened to Tala'ak? How did he get to be deceased? And Tala'ak remembers visitors from the sky. So here we go. We're bringing back the science fiction angle that was in 6.1, kind of briefly hinted at with Dead Man in Space, and we're bringing space to Dead Man. And why not, let's put it in a Mayan temple. Oh, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., did you read this one? Sorry, that was just a little little bit of a dig there.
0: i got a dig uh, of my own coming up, don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> All right.
5: Uh, so the the story goes on where Tala'ak and Deadman come to more friendly terms because, you know, we've had the fight. So after the fight, they have to team up against something or team up for something, a better cause. As Talak is able to then act as Dead Man's guide, this is what's here. These are the weapons they used. Watch out for the fire stick. Dead Man goes, hey, wait a minute. I'm familiar with this fire stick. It was used on me before. See the aforementioned in the two previous segments of the Dead Man discussion of Action Comics Weekly referring to the miniseries written by Andrew Helfer and drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, praise his name.
0: name.
5: Um, because quite honestly, that's a much better Dead Man story. Sorry, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, this the story ends or this installment ends with grinding R's of a coming from the mind's temple. Dead man exclaims, What's that? to which Teleak in great comic book fashion is pointing towards the sound, saying that is the noise the skyships made when they descended upon us. Mm. Dun, dun, dun.
0: So, this story, I will say, first, let me say a positive first. The art is much better in this particular part of, of the story. I am
5: wholeheartedly agreeing with you on that
0: one, Chad. Uh, there are a couple of moments where we can give it some criticism, but Dead Man in particular has some great close-up shots. Uh, one of the closest shots is uh, on the panel... Where he says we're we're already dead, don't you get it? That's probably the yes. closest shot you get to him. But he he looks phenomenal there, um, you know I, I'm tempted to pull a Rob Kelly and make it my uh, profile picture on Facebook. It's it's pretty good. Uh, you get a great pose shot with him and uh, Teleok as they're flying towards the temple, and he says, you know, blasphemer, they have opened the temple. I mean that's you know if it wasn't ridiculous, it'd be amazing. Um, but so so the art is definitely. Uh, improved in this and it may just be because they're out in the elements there are they've they've got the backdrop of a forest the mountains the moon the sky uh all of that stuff but i I definitely enjoyed it uh, a lot more than i have in the prior storylines now where my dig comes in is this is a story that is enjoyable on the surface but once you start peeling back any layers of this onion you kind of get a bit of a whiff of stink oh yes okay so, when was the last time <laughs> we saw a story involving a enjoyable on-the-surface plot with a character we deeply enjoyed that featured political intrigue, a South American sort of Mayan culture, and space? Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, anybody?
4: Oh, gosh.
0: <laughs> this, oh, this is Indy and the Crystal Skull with Dead Man.
5: Yeah, wow.
0: I told you I had to take it my own.
5: Wow, except uh, they're trying to make Cassaba into Sigourney Weaver. (laughs) There's not a very good rendering of her on page seven. No. But you can definitely see a Sigourney Weaver quality to her.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if these are extra-dimensional beings. There you go. (laughs) Oh. Man. It's, but it's, that's, that's how crazy it is, folks. You know, you, people who give movies like Indiana Jones and The Crystal Skull a hard time have plenty of things to pick wrong with that movie, but if they were to just take a surface view of what they find wrong with it, they would obviously do what I just said. It's a good action flick, you know, it's a good popcorn flick as long as you don't dig too deep. Yes. Uh, with you know, some pretty horrible scenes kind of meshed in between, but you sort of forgive it for the surface cool action stuff. Uh, the fact that you're seeing indie on the big screen again. Right. But once you start going, politics, Mayan ancient culture, oh, wait, this is a- aliens? Like, where, where are we supposed to be putting this story, like, tonally? Like, how am I supposed to categorize it? <laughs> like, yeah. that's that's yeah. that's the same problem this story has. It's got a good character. it's got something roughly recognizable as an adventure they might be involved in. It looks familiar, but it's not <laughs> right so that's 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 where I have to fault it is because we if if we had just gone into the' kind of stuck with the Mayan thing, which we could have with Talloc being fully revealed now, it would have been okay, right, but then we just come hard left right back into this this alien thing where i mean this is this is pretty atypical of a storyline involving an ancient you know an ancient culture calling it the great ships the sky people you know that that sort of thing and yes. then you see you know ancient you know futuristic technology hidden deep inside an ancient temple where which gives me a whole oh, what's that show called ancient aliens kind of vibe
5: yes, yes sir yep
0: so i don't i don't know it's just you you get a lot of this type of stuff in modern day because of things like ancient aliens and stuff like that have been so pervasive and to be fair, I was born in nineteen eighty seven so it's not like I am intimately familiar with the pop culture stereotypes and plot lines at the time but i wouldn't i wouldn't venture a guess that that this sort of ancient technology ancient civilizations were you know pushed forward by alien beings would be as pop culture and uh, in your face as they are today um, now you can you can tell me if I'm wrong I have no problem i I, I wouldn't assume it's the eighties <laughs> it yeah, yeah, yeah. could very I, well have been
5: <laughs> I, I think this is this is the era of in search of uh, the the Leonard Nimoy show that took concepts like the pyramids and bigfoot and tried to give answers, but all they really did was they spouted conjecture. Um, So I I could see this starting here, uh, but the fact that you've got an alien culture now roped into this, you've already made this very, very politically heavy with, I mean, you're not even calling it a false organization. You are labeling it the CIA. You're not calling it the DEO or... Argus or something of that nature. You're saying the D the CIA is right here working on this. Oh, and they're trading guns for drugs. And now we're going to throw in aliens and let's put in dead man because no story with dead man has ever been told like this before. And then all of a sudden you kind of just lose the mark of what this is supposed to be. Yeah. Just from having all those different angles crashing together.
0: Yeah. Um, like i like i said it's it's a it's a surface you don't peel it back too much. it's a surface level enjoyable story featuring a character you recognize, and you could even if again if you're not digging too deep in it you could even go, eh, yeah, I can see dead men being involved in this, right, but any sort of scrutiny on it and you're just like <laughs> wait a sec, um. And it starts falling apart. And 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 spoilers, guys, because uh, I I haven't read very much, very far ahead on a lot of these. I, I kind of want to keep the uh, the the sort of suspense, the the uh, re- the page turn reveals stuff relatively new as we record. But I did read a little further ahead on this one
3: okay. because
0: <laughs> because it's Dead Man, and yes. I just can't help myself. Um, but Talaak isn't even around very much longer. He right. just evaporates into the ether. So it's like we had this whole ghost uh ancient Mayan God thing for no reason. Right. You could have you could have just had the political intrigue and the whole space angle and that would have been fine, but <laughs> Oh man, it it's
5: uh And then it gets even more yeah crazy.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, but I, again, I, if I, if I'm going to focus on a positive, the, fo- the positive would be the, uh, the, the, art improves this issue. And I don't know if something has changed, um, because the, 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 team, hasn't changed, but maybe, maybe Tony and Dan have started sort of meshing a little better together. Uh, maybe the colorist is doing a different thing. I, I don't know what it is. Um, but something is different.
5: I'm not sure exactly what it is either, but. Like you said, it is different, and it's different in a very good way.
0: Mm, for sure, even even things where you don't have a lot of detail in terms of the characters, like when Tala'ak and Deadman are standing with the backdrop of the moon in that tall side panel, right on uh, page four for those I think are who are reading at home. Yeah, uh, that's that's particularly you know just really well done. Um, there's a lot of things that are just really well done in this, and you know even though that it's it's more you know ancient uh and, and and it's it's not like there's a whole lot of stuff covering Ox's body, but it it's it's intricate jewelry and it's still drawn uh pretty consistently from panel to panel right. so that's that's good that's so that's uh, of note too
5: right, and the interactions between the characters are it, it's much better here than it has been in the previous couple issues i mean you you have them playing to each other in the panels for sure, As opposed to just kind of hopping along.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you before we close up, uh, I personally did not recognize this gun. What can you tell me about it without... You know, I'm not so sure. I gun.
5: recognize the gun, to be honest with you. I mean, it's supposed to be representational of a weapon that uh, the sensei, who was later revealed to be uh, Jonah, had used to trap Dead Man. And so I've gone back to my... Uh, there, there are weapons... I don't know that it's exactly the same though that he uses to bring dead man down. So, um, I mean, the concept is there. Yeah. And give me a second. I'm gonna pop open issue three here, because it's not in four of the the helper, um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez.
0: Crazy. his name.
5: Praise be his name. Series. Yeah, there are just weapons, but they're not exactly like this. I mean they're they're futuristic, they're attached to cannons, but uh certainly <laughs> as Jose Luis Garcia Lopez his name,
4: name.
5: draws him, it it's or draws them, it's dynamically different than what appears here. I mean, it, the the one that he draws is not forked like this. It's uh more like your standard um, Tenor-era Star Wars figure, extra laser rifle type of thing.
4: Yeah.
5: Uh, the type of design is, is similar to like what IG-88 came with, if you guys can remember, the rifle-sized as opposed to the blaster-sized. So I know the listening audience may have that frame of reference. Some may not, but uh, it's not... I don't know. The, the forked variation on it is certainly... Certainly makes it look futuristic, but if you look at the other vehicles, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, th- that other one, there's no way anyone would even fit in it. The one that looks kind of like a screwdriver spun into a, a bottle on wheels.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an odd-looking contraption. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Obviously, do you have anything else to say about this one?
5: Um, no. <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, I,
5: I'm thankful that the art took a turn towards better. Um, the conversation with Tala Oc certainly helps put things in perspective a little bit better as well. But what did happen in this issue is um, Baron also walked away from using caption as exposition.
0: Yeah.
6: Instead,
5: the exposition is all driven through the characters.
0: And we'll be coming back to it, but still. Oh, sure um yeah guys they they add a whole nother element to this <laughs> uh, yes. just t- two issues from now uh so so it it's not a fault of me and Doug <laughs> that this might sound lackluster <laughs> uh it's it's it's
5: a, it might be but <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's a goofy storyline, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's a goofy storyline its it's a goofy storyline for dead man. It might work with a different character, but for Deadman in particular, you'd really notice the, why do we have so many
3: different tonal elements in this?
5: It meanders.
3: Yeah. That's
5: the, the source of the problem here, is it doesn't appear as though Baron had one specific angle he wanted to go, but he had a bunch of different angles that he wanted to try out.
0: Yeah, for for as much crap as people give some comics and creators and characters for sticking to a "quote unquote formula," I think Deadman is one of those characters that shines when you stick to formula. Now, you I, can have some freedom within it, but I think that Deadman needs to be involved in usually a very particular type of story. I would agree yeah, or, and this
7: just is
5: maybe one of two options. You know, I mean there there's certainly a range that he could apply to, but it's a very narrow range.
0: Yeah. For sure. But I mean, like like I said, I'm in, it, it's it's that indie and the crystal skull thing for me. It's a surface level that's entertaining, but it's the meat of it isn't a I I don't know if I would have come back after this one if 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 i'm if I'm reading comics at the time and trying to decide whether or not I'm spending a buck fifty a week and other stories don't interest me, and I'm at this point like maybe you were Doug, only picking it up primarily because of certain characters like Dead Man and still looking at the dead man story and going, well, even this not so much
8: right
5: and and you're actually finding my breaking point with this at the time. I think uh, I think the Black Hawk cover kind of drew my eye, even though maybe I was reading the Black Hawk portion. But, you know, I was still buying this for Dead Man, but it was getting close to Dead Man and I taking a little break, yeah. as it were.
0: All right. Well, before we go to break, you want to go ahead and tell us uh, where we can find you across the interwebs?
5: you can find me taking care of a couple blogs uh, one is my greatest adventure 80.blogspot.com that of course is my named after my advent my greatest adventure sorry 80.blogspot.com named after my greatest adventure issue number 80 which is the first appearance of the doom patrol most of the content on that blog is doom patrol centric uh, additionally i Took the name, kind of spun it a little bit, and went with Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventures.blogspot.com <laughs> to just kind of cover other things that fall out of my head there. Um, I have done over 2,000 reviews for comic book resources. I'm no longer reviewing there, but I am reviewing over at Comic Ocity. Uh, that's comicosity.com. And I'll also have some articles going up there later on as 2016 continues to evolve.
0: I want to thank you one more time, Doug, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
5: No problem, Chad. Sorry for the uh, the downish enthusiasm towards the end there, but like you said, this, this story is getting wacky.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no problem.
5: Yeah, a couple of the next chapters get, get weird, too. I mean, eventually we're going to have the devil asking dead man if he plays Pinochle.
0: <laughs> but that's a story for another time. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, guys. Yep. Awesome. When we come back from break, I will be joined by, of course, the great Michael Bailey as we discuss more Superman. See you guys on the other side.
7: Doom Patrol
8: 1963 Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure issue 80. 1964 My Greatest Adventure renamed Doom Patrol Issue 85 1968 Doom Patrol Destroyed Issue 121 1976 The New Doom Patrol Showcase 94 1987 Doom Patrol Volume 2 Coverberg Lytle 1989 Morrison and Case Issue 19 1993 Pollack Issue 64 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol Volume 4. Burn. Shush! 2009. Doom Patrol Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012. 2013. 2014? 2015? 2016 Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and Podbean.com.
0: Okay guys, we are back and we are yet again covering Superman. So of course I had to bring back Yes, I have another one. The Magnate of Metropolis Meditation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow, you
6: were giving Trentus Magnus a run for his money for introductions, sir. Good, good, good work on that.
0: <laughs> it's my job to belittle somebody <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. Uh, as you can tell, it's Michael Bailey. Welcome back, Mike. <laughs> uh,
6: thank you for having me. And it, why you can belittle people with your hair, I have no idea. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, I'm, I'm just taking a shot at a young kid cuz i <laughs> cuz i can cuz probably by the time this comes out i'm uh, i am i am officially 40 so <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh see i'm 28 right now and uh kind of dreading the 30 uh but we'll see <laughs> so this time around again we're covering superman obviously we're eventually going to get to a point where we have nothing left to talk about but ex- the the stories themselves but i've been trying to save up my general questions, just to give us a little more talk stuff as we go. So let me ask you this: We've read two of these things now, and we've had sort of classic, you know, you know, stop there, wrongdoer, uh, sort of clips from Superman. You know, he, he says things like, "I'd say you were wrong," and you know, we take gun control very seriously here in Metropolis, and you know, things like that. And we get a couple more of those types of things here. So let me ask you, what was Superman slash Clark's personality like at this time? Was he firmly the big blue Boy Scout still, or was there some darker stuff creeping in? Because I'm sort of familiar with Superman history as an overarching term, but I can't I can't pin it down like you can.
6: When, when oh I'm sorry. No, go ahead. When Byrne took over Superman, uh, one of the big things that he did was he made. Clark Kent, the real person, and Superman, the fancy pair of long johns that he wore to do the things with his abilities while still trying to keep a private life. So right there you can have a, a, a newer take on Superman for the time that you have a Superman that is not all consumed with doing worldwide uh uh, patrols, which is what he would do in the in the silver and bronze age, and there's not I have nothing against that. Uh, it's just this is where I came in. Clark was a dynamic character. He had his own life. He was he was not only a reporter, he was a best selling novelist. Uh, he didn't wear the same suit over and over again, uh, which again is not me taking a shot at that. It's just how it separates it from the previous version of the character. And Superman was, he was just more outgoing and kind of down to earth. Uh, Byrne and Marv Wolfman, who wrote A Year of Adventures of Superman right at the beginning of the post-crisis era, really kind of played down his abilities. And and when I say that, he could no longer extinguish a sun with his super breath. You know, he really, he he could only, he could only fly into space for however long he could hold his breath, which was about an hour. He could fly, eventually Byrne would have it, that he could fly to the moon and back on a single mount, you know, on a single tank full of air, essentially. And when you look at this Superman, and especially since it's before Stern was writing the character full time, you do kind of have a throwback feeling to it. And again, that's not a pejorative. It's just this is very much a Bronze Age Superman story uh, being told in the post-crisis era, uh, where Stern, I think, was really finding his feet with the character and doing more of what he would you know was was popular when swan was the regular penciler and i and i got to wonder if swan being the penciler kind of colors that you know like you're noticing the dialogue more because the artwork looks old fashioned yeah so and and again i i keep having to stress this cuz i've got good friends that love kurt swan and love the silver and bronze age and i and i'm not one of these superman fans uh, I'm very much the, the the antithesis of the Superman fan that says that my way is the only right way. Uh the character's been around for over 75 years. He's been through a number of of iterations and I'm of the opinion, and I've joked about this in the past, that as long as they don't make him a child molester, I think Superman's pretty much consistent throughout the, throughout the era, even if he's being portrayed in a way that I'm not particularly caring for. Like, right now where i think they're doing a terrible job with him.
0: Mm. I don't want to get into it too much, but that's part of the reason i have problems with DC as a whole. Right now is because this is not the I'm as much as people make fun of Superman for being the big blue boy scout, i want him to be the moral center of the DC universe. And i don't i don't see this Superman as that. I mean, every time i read him in some different stories, He's cocky or he's arrogant or I mean something is something is happening or he's saying something that is just very un forget Superman like very un Clark like. Yeah. This is this is not the man who was raised by the Jonathan and Martha I know.
6: And and I'm okay with a cocky Superman at the early point of his career because he's just finding his feet. I I've always had in my head the firm idea that. When he starts out as Superman, he is thinking locally.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: And eventually, because he realizes his power level and the and what he can actually accomplish, I think he starts thinking more globally and when it, and 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 it, it kind of opens up his you know perception of who he is and what his place on the planet is. i I like grounded street level Superman stories. Because I'm of the opinion that if Superman is the most amazing thing there, whoever is creating that story is doing their job. This mm-hmm. is why when in the brief period in the early 2000s where they had Metropolis be the city of tomorrow, where it was infected by the Brainiac 13 virus, and it was this futuristic city uh, you know, in America, I hated it because suddenly Superman wasn't the most fantastic thing around, you know, in his area. You know he was just an amazing thing in an amazing city, and that leads to it being kind of pedestrian, whereas I, I I think he always works best when he but to 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 go on with what you're saying, I think I think Superman's place in the d c universe is is what they're doing right with Captain America in the Marvel Cinematic mm.
4: Universe. Mm-hmm.
6: He is their moral compass he is the one that will make the hard decisions to do what he thinks is the right thing. And unfortunately, because of Batman's position, this isn't me insulting Batman because I love that character, but I think because of Batman's position in the DC Universe at this point, if Superman does that, then suddenly he's a danger. You know, and and and, it's, and I'm glad that a lot of the writers have kind of done away with that. Jeff Johns, you know specifically has gone out of his way to mention these two are friends Mm -hmm. uh but i I think you know he works best when he is the guiding light of the dc universe Mm -hmm. and you know didio even said it when superman sells bad all of dc sells bad Mm. it's weird i mean when you think about it that 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 shouldn't be Because if if one character isn't doing well, then that doesn't mean that the line as a whole. But I think it shows that at the end of the day, while, you know, I love Batman, and I love Green Lantern, and I love The Flash, and I love Wonder Woman, and I've read decades of all of those characters. But if you're getting Superman wrong, you are fundamentally getting DC Comics wrong. Mm. So... Uh, you know, it's why these stories while that we're talking about, while a little throwbacky, I still think they're very entertaining up to the uh, up to the point where I stopped reading uh, for what we're going to be recording. So but it's just it's it's fun. It's a fun little story. I mean, you know, this one's titled More Powerful Than a Locomotive, which is one of those like iconic Superman things. Go ahead. Take it from there. Well, the gunman that had broken his leg is about to get run over by a train, and he is making peace with uh, with this because <laughs> the fact that he is about to die. When suddenly Superman destroys the train tracks, stopping the train. Uh, after telling the uh, what I'm assuming is the uh, locomotive driver uh, to basically watch this guy for when the cops uh, come to get him. He chases after the gunman that did flee. Well, you know what? This is the worst criminal gang ever because the guy driving shoots his uh, compatriot, pushes him out of the car, and keeps on going. And we end with Superman and uh, random pedestrians stopping to check on him. And Superman says, while well, this man's death must have been instantaneous, whoever did this, he swears. They will
0: pay. And this is where the muddy stuff comes in for me.
6: Oh, yeah. Artistically, this thing is kind of not as good as the previous two installments.
0: Lots of shadow in this one, and as such, lots of ink. <laughs> Especially those last, uh, what do you call it, three panels? So yeah. A cer- spe- starting with the circle.
6: Yeah, and, and also the one right before that with the uh, with the gunman in the car. I mean, yeah. it's it's just... It's like Tim Sale would kill that, but between Swan's uh, pencils and and Beatty's inks, it just doesn't work. And you know, it, it's kind of weird that the image of Superman stopping a train looks kind of awful. Mm. It's undynamic. It's in in that panel and in the next panel where Superman's flying away. It looks almost like color forms. If you have any idea what I'm talking about with that. No, go ahead. Uh, is... Little vinyl clingy things that uh, were big when I was a kid were basically you'd have like a street scene and then you'd have vinyl clings of like Superman and Batman and you would make your own scene with them.
0: Oh, okay. So modern equivalent is when you're making album art. Like for instance, the way I made album art for this podcast. Yeah. Take Taking PNG files and dragging them around across mm-hmm. various backgrounds. Yes. Okay.
6: That is right. it. Uh, They actually did, uh, on, on two different occasions in the 90s that I'm aware of, uh, color form type covers as variant covers, which were goofy, but I find them kind of be, to be fun. But that shot of Superman flying away, again, it should be like this. You should hear the John Williams music, and, and it should be like this dramatic moment, but it's not. I mean, writing-wise, I was okay with this because that opening scene of the gunman leg all busted up, no way out of this one, ugly damn way to die. I mean, this guy is coming to terms with the fact that he's about to get run over by a train, and suddenly he's saved, and then you have the two escaping gunmen uh, you know, and one of them's like, you know, unfortunate. I heard stories about this Superman. He's he's supposed to be from a whole nother planet. Who knows what'll do to Charlie and Dave if he catches them? I want out of this right now. And the guy shoots him. It's just like, holy crap, what is going on here? And I think, really and truly, that is the one real hook of doing these two-page stories is because you are trying to get the reader to be so engrossed with what's going on that he can't wait for the next installment. And that is the very heart of what comic strip storytelling is. And I think, again, that's what they were trying to kind of bring. They were trying to bring that sexy back here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoy it. It's just the logical part of my brain looks at the prior story and sees the, these, you know, it's it, first of all, it's head-on, so you can't really tell, but the the distance between this guy and the train, and then the distance, it's, it's like all of this takes place in, like, a quarter of a second, which, when you're dealing with a Superman story, okay, he's fast, but this guy's also having time to look back, notice a train is coming, and make his peace with himself. So
6: what, what you're really asking is, why doesn't he just roll off the track?
4: <laughs> yes.
6: Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's true. Okay. I, that's just, like when, I just wanted like when this I, to be clear for everybody.
0: This is this is like the, the, the moment in a cartoon or a movie when, like, a tree or a building is falling and you're running away from it rather yeah. than just a few steps to the right or to the left. <laughs> uh, I just... Uh, and again, I, I I'm just reiterating: is this is this supposed to be rocks? Is this supposed to be grass? Like, they're just they're literally just ink blots on the page, especially
6: in
3: that last panel.
6: The detail work that we were commending in the previous installments is just n- almost non-existent here,
3: mm-hmm.
6: and it's kind of disappointing because, I, you know, I'm not I'm not. Sitting here telling anyone how to do their job, but it's not like this art team had to produce twenty-two pages in a month. Right. They had to produce eight pages, and it. And I don't know if the book was just incredibly late, or if Swan was okay with his pencils and Beatty was just late with his inks, or vice versa, where Swan was late. Well, I don't. But I can't believe that Kurt Swan was late with his pencils. The man was the most dependable artist ever. So. I mean, it wasn't always like 100% gold, but man, he he got it out on time. So uh as we get deeper into it, the 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 art just becomes more and more of a problem for me. Yeah. Uh and it really kicks into high gear with this installment.
0: For sure. All right, anything else to say about this one?
6: Uh no sir.
0: All right. Uh so before we go, and move on to the next segment? Where can people find you across
6: the interwebs? Uh, views from longbox.com, where I do my somewhat regular show where I talk about whatever is catching my fancy with comics at that time. And from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which you can find at fortressofbailytube.com, where Jeffrey Taylor and I are looking at the other Superman comics that were coming out around this time. Uh, in fact, we're looking at the entire post crisis era. So uh, check it out.
0: Awesome. All right, guys, quick promotional break, and when we come back, (sighs) wild dog.
6: My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like?
8: Comic comic books. books.
6: I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views Views from the Longbox." deal with this borderline personality disorder every week or so i pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them and then well i i talk about them it's kind of what a podcast is sometimes i'm alone sometimes i'm joined by my semi-regular co-host the irredeemable shag or thomas dj and the permanent semi-regular co-host andrew leyland and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat the show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Longbox, A podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday or so at www at longbox.com.
0: Alright guys, we are back from break uh, and as Superman is checking pulses and uh, that's our cliffhanger, we come back to the thrilling adventures of the incomparable wild dog. And because... <laughs> <laughs> he's, I've already got the sign. <laughs> And because we're talking wild dog, I couldn't leave out the expert Jay Jones.
7: <laughs> Please stop calling me that.
0: I said you're I said you're the expert. I didn't say you are the expert on Wild Dog. You're the expert on Captain I Adam. I am the expert on Captain just... Adam, yes. <laughs> Oops, cocky much. <laughs> you can't win with me, man. <laughs>
7: alright, alright. <laughs> Welcome back, Jay. Thanks for having me. Uh, it really has been fun. I promise. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Podcasting in general. You know, sometimes it's good to talk podcast about the bad stuff, you know? Yeah,
7: it's a lot more fun to talk about stuff that's horrible than stuff that's great. Uh, (laughs) Because everybody agrees the great stuff is great. That's right. Um, I guess
0: time will only tell if uh, we see people who start uh, defending Wild Dog. Uh, (laughs) I'm looking at you, Frank. You seem to hate things everybody likes, and love things people trash. So go ahead, Frank, defend Wild Dog
7: to me. I, you know there are I mean, there are people love Wild Dog. I have started to get some hate mail, so you know it's uh, it, it's trickling in. There's an audience for everything. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh,
0: so. Last time we left Wild Dog, we were in the throes of a anti-pornographic wave and a terrorist attack on a bookstore. So, things can't get much more exciting,
7: can they? No, they absolutely cannot.
0: <laughs> well, why don't you tell us where things go from there.
7: Alright, well, what we've got here is Wild Dog Moral Stand, Chapter 3, Censored. Uh, written by Max Collins and penciled by Terry Beatty, the creators of Wild Dog. Letterer is Gaspar, colorist is Michelle Wolfman, editor Mike Gold. And it opens with a gigantic explosion. Kahoom! Read World, is engulfed in flames. Flint and Jack race to Read World only to find that it is a smoldering husk. Uh, Flint and Jack tell onlookers to back away. Jack finds a symbol spray-panned on an outside wall of the store. Uh, more on that in a bit. Susan King reports that Readworld's Night Watchman is missing in action. Now, where did Susan King come from? Because I didn't think she was even around for this. But there she, she turns up. She's horrible. Okay. Um, Susan interviews Layman, who denies his organization's involvement. Uh, watching Lehman on TV, Andy and Jack notice his lapel pin ben- bears the same symbol that was spray-panned on Reedworld's outer wall. Andy asks Jack to infiltrate Lehman's organization, but not to bite anyone. The next day, Lehman pays a visit to a local supporter, Helen Scornt. Sk- <laughs> That's a great name. Helen Scornt. He wants her to open a field office for his War on Porn. Uh, Lou Goddard visits Andy. They're both aware that Layman's legion of morality is behind the bombing, but they have no proof. Later, Jack meets with Layman and begins to convince him he's a local business owner who wants to help rid the world of smut. And that... Is it? That's how uh, That's how we're left with Wild Dog. Um, I mean, not exactly. There is a panel there at the end with uh, someone about to set off a... Bunch of dynamite. Uh, but that's how that's how it's left with Jack meeting uh Mr. Layman, Dr. Layman. <clears throat> Next week, Wild Dog Unleashed. What a clever title. It really is. A dog unleashed. You, know, you guys. There was no end of the dog puns in this uh in this <laughs> series. Oh man. Um
0: God. You know, this is this is good in a sense that we're getting sort of a, an establishment of a relationship uh, between Jack and Flint. Just the fact that, you know, F- Flint isn't all gung-ho about what Jack does, but doesn't hesitate to, you know, uh, keeping up with the dog puns. You know, he he. I don't know if he's his friend so much as he feels an obligation to keep him on his leash. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, well like he, he he sees he sees a good guy there sees maybe damaged goods and but somebody who needs a touch point or he's going to go nuts and he's and, but but then he goes you know things like would you do it unofficially and he's he's willing to let wild dog get involved in these volatile situations that he himself can't follow him into to continue keeping an eye on him so i don't know <laughs>
7: yeah they're they've got a they've got an uneasy alliance those two i mean he does he does tell jack uh periodically to knock it off with the wild dog stuff but then doesn't hesitate to say hey can you go and uh, keep tabs on the bad guys for me uh yeah he does he does use him that way and this is also it just i just struck me this is the second uh in a row this chapter that does not actually feature wild dog um, I imagine he does eventually show up in the series. He's named after him, but we haven't seen a lot of uh, of the things that make Wild Dog great yet. <clears throat> you know, shooting people just in that first issue, just the first the first chapter.
0: I'm, am- I'm amazed at the resolution on this bar TV. The fact that they can clearly make out this lapel pin on <laughs> on a, during a TV yeah. interview. In the 80s, yeah. It couldn't
7: even be, like, high def or anything. It's just a, you know, lucky it's even a color TV.
0: And I like that Susan uh, now interviews Layman for the first time. Like, she she sees him standing as part of the crowd as an onlooker and then pulls him in for an interview for the first time after mentioning, you know, your organization picketed the bookstore earlier today and he's visiting the cities for a speaking engagement Mm -hmm. And present among a respect- like what? if you would have been at the at the talk, you would have
7: heard somebody ask about civil disobedience. Right? Yeah, like... if you'd done your damn job, woman. <laughs> yeah. Although she does have a she does have a good nose for news because she sees him standing there and clearly something's not right. Um, could he look any more evil? <laughs> I mean, seriously. You look at this guy. Oh yeah, he's behind this. He just—I mean, not just the the, the shadowing, but the, the shape of his face, the 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 sneer, the 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 hard brow. Yeah, this dude's evil. He's totally watching this place burn, thinking, "I have done this."
0: He's missing a he's missing a snidely whiplash <laughs> yes, mustache. Yes. Must
7: <laughs> Oh man. And
0: where did this night watchman come out of? Like like we didn't there was no mention of him prior, like there's, you know, somebody there watching the store while it's being picketed or anything like
7: that. Like how did she even find out he was there? Like I mean, why was he there? I mean, it's a bookstore in the Midwest. Does it really need a night watchman? I mean, was there a rash of thefts of, of I mean, was he just hired because of the protests? Uh just to keep an eye on things or was he their regular night watchman that every bookstore desperately needs? Um, In this quiet little town, I really find it unlikely they would have had even would have even had a white, a night watchman. He's just there to die or get horribly injured. Was he killed? I don't remember now. I just read the darn Uh, thing. I I, I, I did not read ahead. I'm trying
0: not to read as far ahead. I'm trying to. Okay.
7: He was caught in the explosion. We don't know his fate yet.
0: True, okay. true uh, and we don't I, I, like for instance because I haven't read ahead I don't know who this uh, is in the final panel with the dynamite but I'm just gonna say those hands look ladylike to me
7: uh, yeah could be possibly the woman that he made contact with earlier mrs. Uh, scornt
0: <clears throat> yeah because those look like those look like gloves pulled up like maybe dishwashing gloves or something like I don't know. I don't know. They, they look like gloves. They don't look like, uh, like if a guy was doing this, I think we'd be wearing gloves that would go up to our wrists or something. These seem to like glow up to like half the length of the arm, the, the forearm.
7: Yeah. Here. Well, you know, they could be, could be, doing uh, some dishes and then things, I got to go set off those, uh, I got to set off those dynamite uh, things. <laughs> what, do you, what do you call Not it? Sound- what do you call a bunch of dynamite? I guess just dynamite. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: Uh I, I mean, I, I, not to sound sexist, guys, but, but, I mean, I don't know. that. Whenever I see, I don't know, something about these hands and the gloves and all of that, it makes me think, maybe it's the fact that they're sort of in a red tent or something. I don't know. Maybe that just makes me think oh, it's a woman okay. or something.
7: Well, I do know. I could tell you, but we'll wait until next time. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, so uh, so he's committed to next time, guys. Oh no, no, wait, wait a second, wait. Let's go back. Can we just erase the last uh, thirty-eight seconds? Oh man! All um, oh, right, I'll do it.
0: So I mean, yeah, it's 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 interesting. This I don't know. It's hard to get a read on this on this layman guy, and it's not not the fact that he's clearly some sort of sinister dude um but i don't know just all the shenanigans he's up to he's even
7: hitting on this one oh, yeah Miss Gort? yeah yeah he says uh um how where where, where is he oh he just puts her he, he has her hand in his at the end there yeah i guess he is hitting on her
0: yeah he's he says things like uh, i understand you're on your yes, own yes
7: yes i'm divorced yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, Helen, may I call uh, you Helen? <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Uh, so he's clearly he's clearly making a move here, but like I just, I, I and he's got he when uh, when Jack shows up to to talk to him, it's. He, He's got goons there. <laughs> like, oh yeah! What is this dude's deal? Like, it's hard. It's hard to get a read
7: on him. I mean, obviously, clearly, like you said, could he look more evil? Yeah, the guy, <laughs> the guy at the hotel who answers the door for Jack. He's, he's like, you got an appointment, but really, he looks like he wants to say, uh, "Oh yes, come in." You know, he has some evil accent, maybe something slightly German. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> You've got an appointment to see Doctor Lehman. Uh, you know I, I don't know he looks he looks evil just like uh, Dr. Lehman looks evil these these people yeah. clearly are evil because they look evil
0: Yeah it's like uh, <laughs> it's like naming somebody sinestro and not expecting him to be Oh sinister. my wife my
7: <laughs> wife would love it if you heard she say that she goes on about Sinestro all the time. She says, what did they expect to happen to him? They named him Sinestro.
4: Of course he went
7: bad. I'm like, yeah, well, you're right, you're right.
0: Well, one element that gets uh, expanded on in this story that we kind of got a bit of in the prior one is these four panels between um,
7: Lou and Andy. Yes. Um... Lou and Jack and Andy, and there's a, a, a fourth man that I mentioned a few episodes back who is yet to be introduced in this series, are the four men who were one of – they knew one of those was Wild Dog in the original miniseries. So these guys all have history. They're all buddies. Um, Do they all know that Jack is the real uh, Wild Dog, or is it just I Andy? think Andy's the only one that knows at this point. Um, okay. Andy figured it out. Um, I think that everyone knows that at this point they know Lou isn't Wild Dog because clearly Wild Dog is a white guy, so that ruled him yeah. out. So whoever it is that is still scratching their head over it says it could still be Jack, it could be Andy, or it could be – can't remember, but uh, we'll get to, I'm sure, <laughs> eventually. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's a history there. These guys are all old buddies. I think they're high school football buddies. Um who went off to Vietnam together. I really got to read that miniseries again, just, just so I know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> well, do you have anything else to say about the story? I mean, I, uh, you're right. It's, it's odd that we're three issues in and yet we haven't seen wild dog actually in action at this point. Uh, other than of course that first story arc, but it doesn't really count because it had nothing right. to do with what's currently um, happening.
7: Yeah, it is strange. Uh, but I do know that the next issue wild dog is unleashed so um we should see we should see uh some more of him in action um but no i really don't have anything much else to add to this uh evil people are evil the good people are good and the reporters are lousy (laughs)
0: all right guys well if you have anything else to add be sure to uh uh hit us up on the facebook page uh the action comics weekly podcast or on the uh on the website or on my Twitter account or any, just listen to the closing. You'll know how to get a hold of us. <laughs> um, but before I let you go, Jay, where can people find you? Across I have the a podcast
7: that I record with my buddy Roy Charlemagne Cleary called "Silver and Gold," in which we discuss uh, Captain Adam and Booster Gold. Um, we also do special throwback Thursday episodes with my son Vance, where we, uh, dissect 1960s Charlton Captain Atom comics. Um, you can find that at CaptainAtomBlog.com, which is also conveniently a Captain Adam blog. Um, you can follow us at, uh, SNG pod four, seven, seven, nine. And you can find me on Twitter at FKA Jason. And, uh, there you have it that's where you can find me where i will be glad to talk about anything except wild dog with you
0: (laughs) all right man well thank you so much again for coming onto the show to talk about wild dog it's uh just just because the content isn't there doesn't necessarily mean the conversation isn't enjoyable
7: (laughs) yeah well thank you it's it's a lot of fun i i do hope to be back for more episodes of uh this podcast to talk about Wild Dog or anyone else that might crop up later on. Well, you're three in, so uh it's a safe bet. Alright, awesome. I'm the Wild Dog uh, guy.
0: <laughs> Just like you always want. Yep,
7: that's what I've what I've strived for.
0: Alright, guys, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, Professor Alan Middleton and I continue talking about the drunken carousing of Blackhawk. Hey! Who likes
1: Wild Dog? Who likes the dog Who likes the
4: dog sound?
7: No. No, no, no. I am taking this podcast seriously. There's no way that song will appear anywhere in the show or even the commercials. I'm doing this right. I'm FKA Jason of the Silver and Gold Podcast. On September 17, 2016, a new show will be appearing on the SNG feed. Wild Pod, a Wild Dog podcast is a miniseries covering the DC Comics character that is sort of their answer to the Punisher, Wild Dog. I'll be covering the original four-issue miniseries, the 1989 special, and various other appearances of Wild Dog. Watch for it at SNGpod.com or the Silver and Gold feed on iTunes and Stitcher. Vance, why do we even own that CD? You ain't nothing but a hound dog With a
4: snooping around the door You ain't nothing but a hound dog With a snooping around the door You can wag your tail But I ain't gonna feed you no more
0: Hawker! <laughs> I just I have to do it every time now. I have to do it every that time. That never
3: gets old. <laughs> never gets old. <laughs> I don't know who you have scheduled to do issue 604, but just don't tell them that that's coming. That's all I'm saying. <laughs>
0: oh, awesome. So, we, if you couldn't tell, we are back with Alan Middleton, Professor Alan, and we are talking about Blackhawk yet again. Welcome back, yes, Alan.
3: Yes, we are. Glad to <laughs> Glad to be here, Chad.
0: <laughs> so... When last we left Blackhawk, he was carousing, naked, <laughs> for most
3: of it. Oh, wait, but he had pants on by the end of the episode. But, and more importantly, he had a scarf. That's so true. that's really what counts.
0: It's Singapore, 1947. I don't... I don't know. She's wearing a tube top and a dress, and he's in full Blackhawk gear. <laughs> like,
3: I don't know if it's... We're not here to judge, Chad. We're not here to judge. Well, actually, I guess technically we are here to judge, now that I think about it. so We are. We are. <laughs> I, I w- that is exactly what we're here for.
0: <laughs> I don't know. It just makes no sense. If it's warm outside, uh, maybe this is special material. I don't know. Whatever. So, you, you Before we get totally lost, do you want to go ahead and take us into the recap of this particular storyline?
3: Well, first... We need to talk about the cover. We do. We do because our man, our man Blackhawk, with oh, our man <laughs> with, with scarf flowing majestically in the breeze, graces the cover of this one.
0: That is true. That is indeed true. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the cover?
3: I'll, uh, well, it it, it it is Kyle Baker. It's yeah. a different artist than on the inside, so. Uh, this uh, this version of black hawk is a little more clean-shaven, a little more put together than the one that that we're dealing with in the story. And I I, I don't know if 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 this pose even is sort of a standard um you know, uh, inventory type shot on comic book db. This is actually one of the shots that they use mm-hmm. for black hawk, so I don't know if it's you know, sort of considered a you know, a, a sort of standard traditional portrait of the man, but his uniform is in much better shape. He appears to be in much better shape <laughs> than, than the man we've been talking about.
0: I, I like it. I don't think it looks, it looks almost like a, a panel that's been blown up. And I don't mean because it's distorted. It's just, it doesn't look like a cover image, cover pose. Right. Maybe if the camera was zoomed out a little more, or, or something like that, I'd, I'd consider it a better overall cover. Um, for the record, I'm not an art guy, so it's not like I, I have the right, vocabulary yeah. to, to, I. Yeah. to to tell you what what I like and don't like about it. But I can tell you that the contrast of the orange and the the orange background and the you know the dark blue of his suit is is definitely popping when you're flipping through the back issues. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's not my favorite cover of the Action Comics Weekly series, nor is it my favorite Blackhawk cover. I think that honor goes to that one where the, the, the face of Blackhawk is in the clouds, and the, the planes are bursting through. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. I just... And I don't understand why Kyle Baker. You know? Yeah, I... Why wouldn't you get the, the creative team behind the story that you're featuring on the cover to do the cover?
3: Right, right. Because, like I I said, these are, in essence, they seem to be two quite different versions of the character, if you will.
0: And it's not just that. It's, I mean, with with eight-page stories, I mean, we did get a splash the last time we talked uh, of him fighting, but it's not like you have much opportunity for splash pages. So why wouldn't you give, you know, the people involved in your story the chance to go hog wild on the art by giving them a full cover? And just letting them do whatever they want.
3: Or, of course, I would say, well, since you've got Mike Grill writing it, have him do the cover. That because uh, I love his art as well.
0: <laughs> that's true. That would uh, that would be ideal. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I. It's not a bad cover. It's just not what I would expect.
3: Yeah, like you said, in at at first, it, it does catch the eye. I think the more you linger on it, the more average it becomes.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I
3: said, it's not my favorite, but it's, it's, at least
0: it gives you a tone. And I don't mean color-wise. He's not grinning, he's not, it's sunset. That's true, right. it's, It's sunset, and there's just, you know, this look on his face, and the wind's blowing, and he's just sort of, Solemnly peering off into the distance. So there's there's a tone sure, there that's sure. managed to be accomplished without very many lines. It's not super detailed. It is a super close-up shot. Um, but there still aren't very many lines uh, when it, when it comes especially to his face. Um, so the fact that it's able to accomplish a tone at all is... I mean, it, it, this cover has to work for somebody it just doesn't work for it just doesn't work for me. All right. Another Fine War chapter 3.
3: Let's do it. All right. From from Action Comics 603, Another Fine War part 3. Same creative team, written by Mike Grell with art by Rick Burchett and Pablo Marcus, colored by Tom Zuko, lettered by Steve Haney, and this story edited by Mike Gold. We learn about the gold the records of which were lost during the various governmental turnovers in Vietnam. Hastings is convinced that the gold still exists and has not been found because the financial markets would have responded, which is actually a pretty good point. I believe the treasures in the hands of the Red Dragon, she says, and I'm going after it. Now she knows of Janos' reputation in the war, and his inability to live a productive civilian life. They negotiate the terms of the deal, which does not include her. Blackhawk is impressed with the lady's connections, although she is not impressed with his choice of aircraft for the mission. But they head off together into the heart of the dragon's lair. Continued next week.
0: <laughs> which actually, that's a pretty cool bubble. That little, that little continued next week bubble. Mm-hmm. I like yeah.
3: that.
0: Is that supposed to be Hastings? That doesn't. She doesn't have. Well, maybe.
3: Yeah, I think it's more in the style of sort of a war movie. Yeah. Poster almost. Yeah.
0: I liked it, and it does it definitely continues the theme of feeling sorry for him, but it's it's more on your no, on the nose this time. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. By the third by the third issue, that's okay.
0: Yes. True. Know, just
3: in case a reader hasn't noticed that yet. Right. It's time to actually hang a lantern on it at this point. Yeah. though savvy readers like us picked up on that before. That's true. You know, but that's okay. Us learned folk. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, I mean, it 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 is, you know, one of the things that's strange about looking at an eight issue, l- l- looking at an eight page, a segment of a story, and trying to do a full analysis of it when you're used to doing you know, 19 or 20 or 22 page pages, is that this one? There's not much action. It's really mostly dialogue. True. But that sort of worked, you know. But you know, you wouldn't want necessarily 22 pages of dialogue unless you're reading a Bendis comic and you'd expect that. But it's you know, uh, but as a eight page segment you know, having Five or six pages of it be dialogue, you know, it does make sense. It it, it does work as this section lets the characters shine, you know, and you know we can, we learn quite a bit about both of these people, are what we assume now are, are are two protagonists. We learn what kind of man Janos is, and we learn what kind of woman Hastings is.
0: A very intelligent woman, not not just a woman with mm-hmm. means, but evidently an intelligent woman too.
3: Yeah, yeah, some connections and some, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I and and you learn that he's pretty smart too, because you know when you were talking about it in the recap, he gets this particular
3: plane because you know you right. mm-hmm. you get a war
0: plane. And you Everyone it,
3: knows, yeah, yeah. But if you're bringing in, if, if you're just a cargo plane bringing in some booze, mm. everyone's going to let you land for sure.
0: That's right. Illegal hooch, some, makes you cre- illegal, illegal hooch makes you credible, <laughs> and it says it also makes men drunk, and drunks are easy to beat up. And she, I love her quip, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> that look on his face. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, what is, is that a Gatlin gun? That looks like it's, it's a big gun. <laughs> Or it's a 50-cow or something.
3: Yeah, it is something big. They are, uh, they're not messing around. Mm-mm. I mean, there's a lot of gold at stake. That's and, true. And I, I did like sort of the plausible idea of, you know, government changed hands three or four times in a couple of years. The records got lost. No one really knows where the gold is. And as a university professor of finance, she is right that if as much gold as she claims existed did land on the market, People would notice because the price would would decline rapidly. That that the the fact that the price of gold has remained stable as part of her evidence that the gold is still hidden makes sense.
0: Makes sense, but if he had half if he had the half the mine she did, he'd go. <laughs> Proof of not <laughs> proof of nothing isn't necessarily proof. <laughs> that, that's true.
3: That is true. <laughs> the it, gold,
0: the that, gold pred- that
3: does not prove the gold exists. Exactly. That just proves that if it does exist, it is still where it, it, it is still undiscovered. Yeah, our our options are hidden and undiscovered or non-existent.
0: <laughs> and I don't in, the first the first issue the first the, the first two uh, storylines that, that we had covered. I didn't really get the vibe, but in this story, I don't know if I trust her. And it's not because she's smart, and it's not because she's got you know sort of <laughs> unknown connections. Yeah. It's just the way they draw her, <laughs> kind of looking, looking, looking askance. The sly look on her face that she says, "You know, I believe the treasure is in the hands of the red dragon, and I'm going after her. That particular panel, the way that she's kind of got this grin on her face and. Especially some of the times when her face is completely in shadow, mm. I mean, I just—you
3: think a message is being sent there?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I trust her, and it's not like it's it's on the nose, like you know. Right. It's just I look at it and I just there's there's that vibe of mm-hmm. maybe she's not all she's cracked up to be.
3: Right. Right.
0: So now whether that plays out or not, I don't know, nice. but. But I at at this moment, I, the seed has been planted that I don't know if I can trust her. And part of it has to do with the fact that, you know, the whole proof of nothing thing, you know? she She's technically right, but it, there's no impact on the market either if it doesn't exist in the first place. So there's no way to discredit her without actually getting in the plane and going and finding it. So... I don't know. I, I see. I can see the whiskey becoming a problem because <laughs> it looks like Blackhawk takes, uh, say five or six shots in the in the course of this eight-page story.
3: He's just he's just loosening up a little bit. No big deal.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is uh, that. I, I I imagine that's going to come back.
0: I I I would guess because it it's artistically it doesn't look like there's very many mistakes in this and the fact that they actually take the time to draw the shot glasses would make right. me assume that they also took the time to show that there's a liquor in each shot glass <laughs> and he keeps picking he keeps picking it up and right. putting it back down and being, this I don't believe this man is considering a shot. You know, about <laughs> about to take it and then decides against it <laughs> and then picks it up again. I believe that each of these is a new poured, a freshly poured shot.
3: So that's that, I think that's a reasonable assumption.
0: <laughs> that it could be it could get dangerous. <laughs> um But I, I enjoyed it and I almost felt this is sort of my last thought on it. I almost felt a sense of coming home at the end. The fact that yeah Black Hawk is on a plane mm-hmm. and he's in the yep. sky
3: now yeah. there you know, is a you know and, and there's just a great sense of flying off into the unknown, flying off into the sunset, flying off into adventure i mean those you know those concepts, those ideas, those images definitely being played on here at the end
0: yeah and and, and that 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 helps because you get a sense like like I said he's not dumb either, you know he, once once you get him in, in on an airstrip near some hangars, near uh, the buzz of planes and sort of familiar settings to him, he just all of it, he, he, so yeah. She gets that good quip in there about I noticed about the the, the whole drunk line, but they mm-hmm. frame they frame his face with her getting on the plane. Her butt is like right in his face, and based <laughs> yeah. on everything we've seen so far. You would expect his eyes to be right there. But he's just like, uh so the he's cocky, he's kind of a jerk, and you know, he's everything you've you've been led to believe so far, but it's almost like you get a sort of a kickback to the old Blackhawk. Mm-hmm. The way he was characterized when he's back in his setting. Right. And that I enjoyed that. You know, he's 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 giving he's the one giving her information rather than the other way around. Right. Telling her how it is and and all of this stuff. And he's got he's even carrying around a checklist.
3: Mm-hmm. Like
0: right. he's, he's I mean he's prepared. a legitimate pilot. Yeah, he's prepared. So that's uh that was cool to see that that he's not just you know uh, he's affected by no longer having a war, but it has let it get to him in such a way that he can no longer you know even do anything you know he's just become the drunken carousing old guy Mm -hmm. so that's that's cool i like how they they dispelled that pretty quickly
3: right and i you know i like that this i mean this you know maybe this is the type of adventures in the sort of dangerous you know Across, you know, international lines, treasure hunting, all that sort of, you know, that's maybe the kind of adventures that that Black Hawk needs to be doing when he's not in war. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to trying to build up, you know, super villain team um, or, you know, in the the new 52 version of the Black Hawks, you know, really a modern special forces cyber terror counter it was it was a mess. And and it it didn't really, it it just didn't work. I, I, I you know I think there are very specific settings where Black Hawk and the Black Hawks work.
0: Yeah, I did I didn't read it. I heard horrible things. That's uh, I, I I also listened to uh, a podcast called Comic Geek Speak. Uh, and when the new fifty two came out, they they read all fifty two, all of them, uh, and uh, kind of did their report. Each week on on those comics. and I between the black when the when the Black Hawk thing happened eventually and that and then there the feedback from fans who listen to the show reacting to that episode and, and those particular titles, and it just seemed so negative and and just yeah. um uh, it just and I, I don't I don't want because part of the reason I want to cover this is because this, regardless of what you think of Action Comics weekly. This is old classic comics the way exactly. we we yes. want modern comics to be. So yeah, I don't want to bring a whole so. lot of negativity into mm-mm, it.
3: Mm-mm. But Yeah, I, I mean to me this and and you know so far this is the type of story that Black Hawk should be engaged in. He, he he should be in the 1940s, 1950s. No matter when the stories are written, I think that's when they should take place.
0: Yeah, that's that and that's what that's what I was getting at is you know as much as DC wants to modernize things, I even saw a, a, a video. Good Good Morning America just uh, just saying something about how you know everybody now hates the new design of Scooby Doo and get the gang that's been <laughs> introduced and all that. I understand the rush to modernize. I do. Uh, you, these are these are characters and franchises that are worth literally, literally billions yes, of dollars. Absolutely. So you've got to, and and, uh, and and
3: and 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 by the way, the comic book sales are pennies on the dollar to what those characters bring in in other areas exactly. and it, and not just movies and TV, but licensing t-shirts and lunch boxes and hats and backpacks that's that's where the money is,
0: yeah, but Blackhawk, I'm sorry, it's yes, it's your property, d c. You, you 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 can't. You can't do it with the Blackhawks. Yeah. They do not belong in our era. If you want yeah, to tell I, a, a time a time travel story, fine, but like they do not belong in our era.
3: Yeah, and and I you know Blackhawk the Blackhawks, they may be on that list growing list of characters that I really like. Like Adam Strange, mm-hmm. Challengers of the Unknown. That just don't have a future in the present or or in the future, you know they you know I, i'm not sure that they are viable properties you know, currently produced, even if you make them period pieces you know, if that which might be the only way that they're that they're viable is as period pieces, but even then I don't know
0: I would not put it past d c now like I said, I want to keep as much negativity out as possible, but I'm not a fan of a lot of what DC's doing. But I have enough faith left in my company, <laughs> the one that I know like the back of my hand, that I, that I put all right, my heart and right. passion behind, to hope that there's somebody that's a fan of DC Comics that's involved in the Wonder Woman movie, that we could see a yes. Black Hawk cameo because of right. the that's, timeline.
3: That's, that's, again, that's doable. That's yeah. Doable.
0: I would love to see, and we don't even and have to say. Awesome. You wouldn't have to say anything.
3: The the, the 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 costume, you know, yes. the, the uniform design stands out so much that, like you said, you wouldn't have to say it.
0: Yeah, I would love to see it, and 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 I'll I'll say this because I said it uh, obviously in the segment you guys heard about Secret Six. By the time we got to the third issue, and and really, really the second in this particular case with Blackhawk. With Secret Six, knew nothing. By the time we got around to this issue, I'm in. I'm sold. I want to read more.
3: You know, Blackhawk is the
0: same way for I, me.
3: I'm in. Now. And I, I, will say this: that uh, uh, over on uh, uh, one of our shows, Short Box Showcase, my me and my co-host, who happens to be my daughter Emily. <laughs> You know, one we, we will occasionally do, you know, the the T V roundup episodes and we both are in love with Agent Carter. Mm. Um, and I think that shows that maybe you know that, that the period piece drama, maybe even in just as a miniseries form, is viable. And, you know, why can't the Blackhawks be the howling commandos? Hmm. You know why can't they be part of the flashback like you're saying? Part of the, you know, part of the the with the Wonder Woman flashback in in the same way that the Howlers, you know, were part of Cap's backstory, and then they show up on, on Agent Carter, you know, they're part of the 1940s Marvel universe. Well, you know, why? Can't, why you know is is there a place for the for an equivalent team, which would be the Blackhawks or an equivalent fella, Blackhawk? In the DCU, somewhere on TV or as a miniseries or or in movies,
0: and, and we we mentioned Wonder Woman, but you get Legends of Tomorrow. I mean, Legends of Tomorrow is going to be the perfect time travel. Exactly, perfect. They're introducing, and, and we know for sure Hex is showing up at some point in, right, in Legends right. of Tomorrow. But they've been dropping photo hints of people like uh, Sergeant Rock. Uh, right. Sandman, uh, who else? Oh, what was the other one? Uh, uh, Ma uh, Hunkle. Yes, Hunkle, Ma <laughs> Hunkle. Ma <My laughs> Hunkle with her pothead, literally. I don't mean I don't mean she... <laughs> I need
3: a meta chat, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> Ma <My laughs> Hunkle, the pothead. Sorry, I'm thinking about that <laughs>
0: mini-series. Uh, <laughs> just sending JSA on weird missions that they think is... <laughs> they think it's real because of the type of stuff they've encountered, but really she's just hallucinating. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But uh, Blackhawks could show up there. I'd love to see him show up in a Wonder Woman thing. And I I wonder if the whole Wonder Woman thing is being done because they saw how well Cap worked. And they're like, well, the only character we have on that side of things that's been around long enough for us to, and has that sort of mentality, would be Wonder Woman. So Mm -hmm. that'd be cool to see. And I hope you're right about there being hope alive for these, pu- these type of period pieces. And I don't mean just like, you know, a couple of decades ago. I mean the 40s, the 50s, uh, and stuff like that. Because I've said it a long time over on the Lantern cast. I want so badly for there to be JSA movies. I want there to be a Green Lantern, Alan Scott movie. Mm -hmm. set in the time period it's supposed to be set in i would love to see that so I'm, i'm hoping that that there is still hope for period pieces that that the love of that stuff hasn't gone away because i like i said when we first started recording these segments i'm not a war comics person
3: right and i i i'm not particularly either
0: but i like this yeah I want to know if there's any Blackhawk, like uh, those showcase editions, the black and white ones. I'd love to go buy something like this. I don't need Blackhawk in color. <laughs> it, there's, there's really no need for it. It's no. it's pretty straightforward, but I, I would love to know if there's Blackhawk out there that I could buy and, and enjoy. Several, several pages at a clip for a discounted <laughs> price.
3: Now you're talking my language.
0: <laughs> All right. You got anything else to say about this story, Alan?
3: No, That that that's it.
0: All right. Well, that will also wrap us up for this particular issue. Alan, where can people find you?
3: Well, as I said, we've got a show called Short Box Showcase. Also, my solo show, The Quarterbin Podcast, and other miscellany is available at the Relatively Geeky Network, Relatively Geeky uh, We also do an occasional cast called Darkness to Light, Darkness to com that covers more of the spiritual and theological and religious connotations of comic book characters and other pop culture stuff. Ragman. Like Ragman. (laughs) Someday.
0: Someday. Someday. (laughs) Darkness to Light special on Ragman. (laughs)
3: That That could definitely happen.
0: Oh, man. All right, Alan. Thank you again so much for coming on and talking about this. This has been a lot of fun.
3: Oh, you're welcome, Chad. Thank you for asking me.
0: For sure, no problem. So, we're gonna take a quick break, guys, and when we come back, more of your listener feedback.
3: This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The short box showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead Tintin Black Lightning White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked.
8: Let's put it this way, Shogun Warriors wasn't gonna win any Eisners.
3: And the great feats of editing not yet performed. And this is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this Ultraman Leo, and this ultra of how they spoke at length.
7: This Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over.
3: But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the force confession and reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time.
8: Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox.
3: This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Short Box Showcase is part of the relatively geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relatively or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Short Box Showcase. And remember, we're not experts, we're just family.
0: All right, guys, that's it. I'd like to again thank my guests Mark Marble, Ben Avery, Alan Middleton, Jay Jones, Michael Bailey, and Doug Zavisha for their involvement in this episode. It's always a pleasure to talk with those guys and constantly reinvigorates my passion for this show. And speaking of passion for the show, let's get into your listener feedback. First from Twitter, new Twitter likes and retweets for episode 602 came from Andrew in Belfast, Andy Makin, Comics Tweets. Hicks, Knowing Flame Comics, Longbox Crusade, Robert McIntyre, Raleigh, Ryan Daly, Silver and Gold, Siskoid, The Hammer Strikes, Trekker Talk, Two True Freaks, Warlord Worlds, Willie Yarborough, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Zavisha. Longbox Crusade said, listening to the episode now, great show host and co-host, keep up the excellent work. And Martin Gray said, I do like this new podcast from at Cage Gnarly. That's me on Twitter. It's where the action is. Well, thanks, guys, so much. I mean, not much to actually respond to there. just praises for the show. I'm probably going to try and start leaving those out a little more. Um, Maybe just at least mention that you guys are saying you like the show because it feels a little self-serving to just read comments that uh, just say that you're – just strict liking it, <laughs> and I don't, I don't definitely want to, don't want to uh, put myself on a pedestal too much. So, <laughs> I do appreciate it though, guys. All the retweets and everything, are, the way you guys are responding is really, really awesome. So I really appreciate it. Keep it up, Twitter crowd. Um, that's it for for Twitter. Over to Facebook now. New Facebook likes and shares for episode six hundred two came from Al Sedano, Alice Shear. Clinton Robson, Comic Book Time Machine, Daniel Budnick, Eric Jack Nash, Gene Hendricks, Gord Tolton, Jay Jones, John Smith, Keith G. Baker, Mario Benzi, Max Romero, Michael Wagner, Michael Feef, Pat Sampson, Ruth Sutherland, Ryan Daly, Silver and Gold Podcast, Terrence O'Neill, and Wild Dog, A Wild Dog Podcast. Ryan Daly says finally finished listening to episode two really enjoyed listening to every segment which speaks to the quality of your guests chad i'm gonna pause right there quality of my guests dude what about me eh i guess you praised me enough in that uh that review that you left me but um still man just a dagger straight to the heart i don't know what i'm gonna do Continuing, he says, inexplicably, I was most interested in the Wild Dog discussion with Jay Jones. Great job, guys. To which Jay Jones, hashtag Wild Dog expert, replied, Wild Dog has turned out to be quite controversial. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird how much uh, feedback we get directly relating to Wild Dog. Not quite sure how that's working out, but I mean, I'm particularly enjoying like Secret Six and Black Hawk a little more than most other stories in the series, but Which is not to speak ill of the other stories. Uh, Definitely Wild Dog is down at the bottom of the tier, but it's interesting that the one that's on the bottom is getting the most feedback. Alright, whatever guys. Clinton Robson said, I'm a bit behind but loving the show. Keep up the good work. Even though there are serious lapses in my Action Comics Weekly collection, I am enjoying the show and eagerly awaiting the new episodes. Awesome. Really appreciate that, man. Yeah, you should definitely go out to uh, you know a local comic shop that's got some discount bins. Maybe if you got like a half price books or some sort of discount bookstore in the area that carries comics. Um, any uh, comic uh, conventions in your area, dude? Action Comics Weekly is all over the cheap bins. Like seriously, it is not hard to pick up several issues of Action Comics Weekly at a clip for really cheap. Um, Martin Gray says, I'm caught up. This show is such a chunky monkey. Dude, I know. Thank you for your feedback, but I know it's a long show, guys. (laughs) I get that a lot from people. Actually, surprisingly, this is only the third episode, but I do get that a lot already that it is a long show. Not critically, they just mention it, (laughs) as we'll get to a little bit later. I know the show is long, guys. That's part of the reason I gave you two weeks to listen to every episode. Now, I know not everybody has enough time to listen to three hours of a podcast. I know that my podcast is not the only podcast a lot of people are listening to. But I don't know. I don't know if, if like th- a three-week gap would make sense or doing it once a month. I feel like if I did it once a month, I'd be less um, meticulous about it. And I feel like three weeks is just kind of too hard for people to keep track of. So it's either weekly, bi weekly, or monthly. And monthly's too long, and weekly is just impossible. So bi weekly bi-weekly is what I landed on. So the uh, ever loquacious Gord Tolton said, It was good. <laughs> Go leave that review on uh, iTunes. <laughs> no, Stitcher. I don't have any reviews on Stitcher. Go over to Stitcher and leave that review. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Gord. i really appreciate you listening over to the website now the website comics comments for episode 602 i'll get to in just a second but martin gray did leave a lengthy comment over on episode 601 which i will read so typically when people do feedback in podcasts they like to you know kind of try and at least try to stick to comments made about the most recent episode prior to the one that they're currently recording. In this case, I kind of feel like even though I'm giving you two weeks to listen to every episode, a lot of people can't do that and some people are playing catch-up. So, I will try, depending on how, you know, how long the comment section eventually grows to, I will try to read your comments from the prior two episodes up to the next, uh, during the the particular episode you're commenting on, or listening to, rather. So, in this case, since I'm recording 6.03, a late comment to 6.01 after 6.02 is already released will make it into the comment segment, and so on and so forth. So, speaking of Martin Gray's comment, he says, Yeah, yeah, I'm way behind, but August is my busiest month. And who cares if this comment is too late for the podcast? True. So, if the podcast you know, ends up getting more and more feedback and I can't read everything on the show word for word, which is not the case this episode, but if we get to the point where I'm kind of cherry-picking uh, some nice comments and stuff and, and uh, unique points and stuff for each episode... Uh, then yeah, I might leave off stuff and just start directly replying on the, on the website. But in this case, yeah, you get a pass. He says, I remember liking the idea of DC trying a big fat anthology, but resented it from day one for demoting Superman. Action is his comic. He should get the lead strip, not just two measly pages. Green Lantern as lead. He's from an entirely different family of books. It didn't help that this is the nastiest story to ever appear in Green Lantern, removing one character and ruining another forever. As you asked, I was a long-time reader. I liked Carol, and hated seeing her become the vessel used to slice apart Kat Matui. I don't know about Bludgeon. To me, she was dicing her. How Jon Stewart to this day can stand to even be in the same space sector as Carol, I'll never know. I'd love it were this story rebirthed way. I'm really not a fan of Owl's slash Priest. He's clever, but his work always seemed to have a mean-spirited edge. Um... You know... I'm not going to comment on that. Like I said in the very first episode of the show, I'm not a comics expert. Um, I don't have a huge history with Christopher Priest. I do have digitally uh several dozen ish of the first several dozen issues of his run on Black Panther because I heard you know just amazing things about it um, but I haven't gotten to read it yet because unfortunately I have a Microsoft surface uh, 2 uh, not a pro but a two and recently my screen cracked and I'm sure you're aware how expensive it is to repair those types of things so I just haven't obviously I haven't had a chance to do it so therefore my Digital comics reading device is gone <laughs> or out of commission for the moment. So I haven't yet gotten to read those issues of the Black Panther series. Um, my only other experience directly with Christopher Priest is the Sleepers novels that he wrote for uh, those that Green Lantern kind of trilogy uh, novel series that he wrote. I, I don't know if I'd necessarily detect a mean-spirited edge, but I, I, think, I'd, I think I'd have to have more experience with his stuff to kind of expand that. He goes on, Wild Dog was just rubbish on every level. A boring, murderish vigilante with a stupidly mundane look and no gimmick to speak of. Not so much a created by character as a created for the NRA. I liked Collins and Beatty on Miss Tree, but here they were firing blanks. I don't know if I'd go that far. I feel like again, I'm trying not to read too far ahead into these, so I feel like there's you know, this is this is the third issue uh that we're we covered in this one and i'm still not really that intrigued by what's going on in the wild dog series i feel like i don't i don't know what my cutoff cutoff point will be but i feel like i'm not yet there to where i should be going this should this should be appealing to me by now now i feel like yes logistically like three issues in to any sort of story regardless of whether it's in an anthology series like this and only you know six six or seven eight pages at a clip you should still have enough there to draw you in yes that makes sense but like i'm wondering if i'm giving wild dog a bit more of a chance just because i don't want to seem overly critical of it um i mean obviously if it deserves it i'm gonna give it hell but you know that's just my that's just my two cents he also says, you guys were spot on tying the new Secret Six to the originals was a mistake. Meaning there were too many characters no one cared about in too little space. I actually have the first of the original Secret Six series. It has a great cover by Frank Springer. I I always get King Savage confused with King Faraday. Not that this comes up much. <laughs> That's funny. Um Yeah, I um as I will mention in the, in the future, <laughs> uh, in, in, in the, the next episode, uh, I do have the first two issues of the original Secret Six series now. I have not yet read them, but I do have the first two issues. I'd like to get issues three, four, five, six, and seven. I think it only went to seven. Um, but I just don't see those sold on eBay in a group. Uh, You know specifically without issues one and two in them and I'd really not like I'd really rather not buy you know issue three from one seller and issue four from another seller and so on and so forth Um, and I know those are like silver age issues of some relatively some value. But on the off chance anybody out there has, you know, a spare few copies or something uh, of issues three, four, five, six, and seven of the original uh, Secret Six series, let me know. <laughs> uh, he also says, I'm all for Dead Man in Space, as I was for Swampy in Space. It makes a change. I agree that Boston moans at Rama far too much. Preaching to the choir. As far as Dead Man in Space goes, I think I already made my thoughts known about that. It was, a sh- it was a shame to see Kurt Swann back on Superman, but with no room to breathe. I'd love to have seen Swann put those lessons in more adventurous layouts Gil Kane supposedly gave him a, f- a few years before intro practice. The idea of a Superman cult didn't grab me. I'd prefer he went looking for McGurk. McGurk. I have no idea what you're talking about. Again, not a comics expert. I'll have to look into that. He says, the Blackhawk story didn't interest me at all. What is wrong with you? I wonder what our Grell fan Supreme, Ruth and Darren, he's referring to the Sutherlands, thought of it. I don't know. I have not yet heard from Ruth and Darren yet. I would like to know what they thought of it as well. He says, you know, this podcast would be perfectly placed over at Fire and Water. You could have a gallery page and everything. Hey, take it up with Robin Shack. He says, congratulations on a fine first installment, and here's to 41 more. At least, buddy, at least. He says, oh, I forgot to say how much I hate what they did to the logo. Could that re-angled A be more wrong? <laughs> yes, he made me do the Chandler Bang thing. And if you need a volunteer for Dog Killer D, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, um, I do have your name down, Martin, as a uh, a, a possible for some wild dog coverage. I am making a list. Thank you everybody who's gotten back to me about wanting to come on the show and having a, an interest in passion for experience with certain characters and concepts from these stories. You know, uh, I do want to try to keep the rotating part of my semi regular rotating cast of guest hosts, uh, motto intact. It's not going to be quite as intact as I originally planned um, because there are certain ones certain people out there who specifically want to hold on to their character for a little while uh, but I do I do want to swap them out every now and then so you guys aren't getting uh, too used to certain viewpoints you know maybe somebody will come on who you know, says, I'm crazy, and I, they love the Wild Dog segment and turns things around. You know, it's always good to get fresh viewpoints. Now, moving on to the comments for episode 602. Gene Hendricks, first comment. Awesome. Says, another great episode, Chad and crew. I'm really enjoying hearing about all the different stories. As to the, quote, darkening of DC comics, I think that Chad hit it on the head. <laughs> awesome. Yes. There were some times where it worked and others where it didn't. Wild Dog, for my money didn't because the hero was a cipher. You don't know what the motivation really is and therefore can't feel any sympathy for his cause. It's as if there was a drive-by shooting in an old mob film. Yeah, those that got hit were bad guys, but I'm not going to cheer someone just driving down the street and shooting people. Luckily, I was able to stick to the characters that I liked, such as Superman, where either the dark stuff worked or it was outshone by the innate heroism of the characters. Boom. Nail right on the head for sure. Um, I don't – part of the reason I was asking for feedback on, on the Wild Dog character and if I was just being crazy or whatever and, and, and kind of clarifying the thoughts on the darkening of DC Comics at the time and how I still felt that Wild Dog didn't fit but couldn't quite grasp why, I think I think Gene hit it on the head kind of. That's the, – the, for, for himself, obviously, it's his opinion – but I think there's still another aspect of it. I'm just not that I don't see why he how how he would fit into the quote darkening of the DC comics. I just I just don't see it, and I don't know why. I, but but what Gene is saying is definitely part of it. I just don't know how much of a part of it. Moving on, Andy Macon, who is actually a frequent commenter over on the Lantern cast, so thanks for following me over here, buddy. He says, Hi, great podcast. My motivation for reading Action Comics Weekly was to complete my Green Lantern collection between the end of Volume 2 and the start of Volume 3. I quickly lost interest in Wild Dog and Secret 6, and have just skipped over them in the actual comics. I am interested to see if the discussions on the podcast get me interested enough to go back and read them. Sorry, but so far I'm still skeptical. Regarding Green Lantern itself, you make a very good point that the murder of Kat Matui seems to be entirely pointless in the context of the story. Why she was seen as quote disposable in the longer term is a mystery, maybe if you could get Christopher priest slash James Owsley to say why they chose to go that way, it could be an interesting discussion after all, if Sar sapphire wanted to hurt Hal, why not just kill Aresia? Keep up the good work Andy yeah, you know as far as that goes, I just there's so many different ways it could have been done, like if the point was to build antagonism between. John and Hal. There were a bunch of different ways that could have been done, if the point was to give Hal a reason to start questioning, trying to help Carol as Star Sapphire, uh, and you know, and you know, transition from that into just out and out fighting her because you know now he's got a reason. Um, there were more. There were other ways to do that. I just don't know. I don't know if Kat Matui was expendable. I don't have enough history with her to tell you for sure whether she was or wasn't. Maybe she was. Maybe her relationship with John, with John was making her a little too, making John a little too settled, a little too complacent. A little, we wanted to get him into a different place. You know, we needed to get him somewhere. But I just don't. But, then, then why not focus on John instead of Hal? I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it seemed, as, as you said, entirely pointless. Martin Gray commented on this episode as well, saying congratulations on another great episode. If this were a British podcast, it'd be called Action Comics Weekly Fortnightly. Don't tempt me, dude. It always struck me as weird that Hal was so convinced Star Sapphire had meddled with John's mind. Okay, his anger at Hal was misdirected, but he had every right to be more than peeved. Why the heck Wild Dog was taking up space here given the massive library of unused characters DC had, I have no idea. What a loser. (laughs) So much Wild Dog piling on, and I think we're doing it to ourselves, but whatever. (laughs) So, um, uh, yeah, I appreciate the comments. And again, with regards to to the Hal storyline in Green Lantern, it's just like, I already said it. Um, I don't know as far as Wild Dog, like why Wild Dog was taking up space. I will refer you to Jay Jones' new podcast coming here in just a few days, a uh, couple weeks actually. That you will hear from him called Wild Pod, and you did hear a promo for it earlier on in this episode. So go over to that. He will definitely be covering the original mini series in which Wild Dog first appeared. Those four issues. Um, and those were the only four issues in which Wild Dog appeared before Action Comics Weekly. So, maybe we'll see over on that podcast why Wild Dog over anybody else was included in Action Comics Weekly. There you go, Jay. Is that enough of a plug for you? (laughs) And then lastly, Laurel Phillips says, Hi, Chad. Second episode was even better than the first. You and your guests seemed better prepared for the quality of strips you were faced with, so when the strip wasn't the greatest, wild dog anyone? You were both able to find the fun in the comic anyway, which in turn made the podcast fun to listen to as well. Plus, your effort to research the characters, creators, and comics history was top-notch. Keep up the good work, and I'll tune in for more. Thanks very much, Laurel. Laurel's actually another one who comes over from uh, the Lantern cast podcast that my me and my co-host mark marvel do on green lantern um it's awesome to see some of those same people coming over and just following my monotonous <laughs> annoying voice over to this side of things so i really appreciate it uh, again more wild dog piling on but he deserves it so <laughs> we'll just deal with that um as far as the effort i'm putting into researching the characters creators in comics history that goes squarely on my guests because I'm not doing much of any research at the at this point. I do want to do more research and I will. It's just it's a delicate balancing act between trying to make sure the segments don't go too long as well as I don't want to be spoiled as to stuff that's coming up. So if I do do too much research, I run the risk of spoiling myself. Perfect example, Secret 6. If I try and research that too much, I'm going to end up spoiling myself into who Mockingbird is. And I kind of want that reveal for myself. I want that moment. You know, I want to read it in the comic. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Thanks everybody who commented on the website, Facebook, or on Twitter. I really appreciate it. And before we go, we have two more reviews to get to on iTunes both five-star reviews that is so awesome i cannot 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 thank these people enough for leaving reviews if you have the time and the ability please 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 head over to the uh, to itunes and leave me a review in the itunes store for this podcast or please do so on stitcher uh like i said as of this particular moment i don't have any reviews on stitcher so that would also help as well um but the first review entitled A Great Look at an Overlooked Run comes from Gene Hendricks. Gene says most people, myself included, have skipped over the weekly run on Action Comics when going back to fill in their collections. This, I have found out, is a mistake. There are some really good stories in here, which Chad and his co-hosts are bringing to light. Yes, the shows are on the longer side, but they are well worth the time. You get as much analysis for a two-page Superman strip here as you would get from an entire issue on another show not only that it's all entertaining if you're a fan of comics at all do yourself a favor and check out this show dude making me blush that's so sweet okay i'm never doing that again no i really appreciate it man yes the episodes are long i acknowledge it but you guys get two weeks to listen to (laughs) um And then the next review says, why are you not listening yet? Another five-star review from Clint Robson. He says, loving every second of these episodes. Three hours might seem, seem intimidating, but that is perfectly acceptable to cover issues of one of the best anthology titles of all time. Chad and his guests cover all kinds of approaches and aspects of these tales from a unique period in DC's history. This is not a show to be missed by any DC fans. That's just, you guys are awesome that the amount of love pouring in from this sh- to the show is just it's like unprecedented. like yeah I'll, I'll admit when I was preparing for you know the uh, the, the feedback section of of this show uh, of this particular episode, I was a little upset that it wasn't quite as long uh, even half as long really as the uh, as the response I got to the first episode. But you know what? feedback is feedback and it's all positive and it's all involved it's all community based the the reviews just keep praising the show and like guys this just seriously overwhelming so i really 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 appreciate you guys checking taking the time to leave reviews to go over to the website and leave comments to check out the posts on Facebook and leave comments on those or respond on Twitter. That is so awesome, and I really appreciate you guys taking any amount of time to do that. So with that being said, that's it for this episode. If you guys want to leave a comment on the show, please, 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 the very best place to do so is the website, actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com. Just click on the link for a particular episode you want to comment on and leave a comment down at the bottom. You're also welcome to do so on Facebook. Just search Action Comics Weekly Podcast and like it over there and leave a comment on one of the posts about a particular episode. Or follow me on Facebook, at CageGnarly, at C-A-G-E-N-A-R-L-E-I-G-H. And uh, you're welcome to respond to a tweet about Action Comics Weekly there. Um, typically, uh, at least for sh- on Facebook, between the release of a brand new episode and the next episode i usually try and only post about three times um about each episode so the first post on uh, will go up obviously when the f- when the episode released the second uh, post will probably go up a week later just to remind people that it's out there and have you listened yet and the third post will be okay i'm about to record the next the the bumpers for the next episode to get feedback in. So this is your last chance to get feedback in. So those are the, I'll usually post about three times on Facebook um, to remind people to leave some comments on, on the website. I hope that doesn't get too boring or too tedious for you guys. Seem like I'm being too pushy, but again, actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com is definitely the best place to leave feedback. Um, You're welcome to everywhere else. And obviously it'll get read on the show, but actionweeklypodcast.wordpress.com for sure Uh, you're also welcome to leave reviews if you are able on iTunes in the iTunes store or you're welcome to do so on Stitcher which is an, uh, an app where you can stream podcasts if you don't necessarily have room to download them so thank you everybody for listening I really appreciate it thanks one final time to my guests for showing up on the show this episode and I will talk to you guys next time